Broadcasting from the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire, welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump. We gotta keep this on PG. No sexual innuendo. I wasn't even thinking about that, but what happened? You wearing like a like a like a cowboy hat or something? I was, yeah, but I can't wear my headphones with a cowboy hat on, so I took them off. You know, what you, you know, what you were reminding me of because you're like in that dark room. Like I have like huge lighting, but you have no lighting, so it's just you and like a black T-shirt, with a black hat. You reminded me of like. Uh, that Stephen King character, Randall Flagg. Oh yeah, that's right from the stand. Yeah, he's like across like all all those, <laughs> all those Stephen King books. That's funny. Yeah, but on a on a different 1969 note, that's uh, that was my birthday. If anybody's curious, uh, in in 69. So yeah. Well, that's right. Yeah, You're a Woodstock baby. I sure am. Yeah, my mom was in her last trimester, and my dad was at Woodstock. So that's called priorities <laughs> that's isn't that wild that that shit would not fly <laughs> oh sorry I, I just ruined the PG there that would not fly in my family dude yeah if you're struggling to sneak a hike in can you imagine that scenario Seriously. like oh yeah, my no. god what no. the hell you would stop I mean it's not like you can like <laughs> just be like oh yeah hit me up on my cell phone or look in life 360 if you want to see where I am it's yeah. like uh, honey call you I'm having contractions like a and a half. exactly yeah. it's crazy hey yeah. it was a different time the 60s were nuts so wait did did he make it back for your delivery oh hell yeah yeah no I wasn't oh, born until okay. November but my mom was still well along so anything could have happened. But it was possible that like something might have happened. Oh yeah, no, no question about yeah. it. So November 9th is my birthday. So it's, it was like the last trimester, basically. Well, good for your mom for like uh, letting him like, <laughs> spread his wings. Like God, no kidding. I know. Papa Stomp was up to. We we'll have to get him in. We want a deep dive on this. He was like playing in the mud pits with the hippie girls. Well, you know, it's really interesting when he showed, he did tell me a lot about it, but um, it was all mm-hmm. mud. But when he showed up, the gates and the fences had been pushed down. So he got in for okay. free um, okay. with all the other, I don't know, gate crashers or whatever. I mean, the guy had a million stories. I mean, he was, he would tell me stories about uh, sneaking up into the old Boston Garden vents to see concerts. Mm-hmm. Uh, just amazing stories. Crazy time. Well, that's interesting. You never did any of those, like, you know, the Woodstock things that would happen in the 90s, like no. uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers and all that? No, no the whole the whole vibe of the, the thing is, it's so commercial now, Lollapalooza, Coachella, everything is just, it's a whole different spirit. I wouldn't even bother. Like, Woodstock yeah, yeah. was a once-in-a-lifetime event, from what I understand, and, you know, culturally, the, the, the nation was in such a strange place with the war and everything else. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, those like '90s Woodstocks were kind of weird. Like, you know, it's posers. I don't think at the time I really realized it, but you're right. Like, it was totally commercialized, and it was like sort of angry versus like the the original Woodstock that was so 
so like peace and love and yeah. you know, let's pull everyone together. And that's funny because it sort of ties into a little thing that I added here about the snowboarding, which I think we should, we should just touch upon it when we get to it. But uh, just that rage against the machine, angst is starting to pop up in the snowboarding world. And now that we're in August, winter's right around the corner. So I thought we might talk about it briefly. Yeah, yeah. I did see something. Somebody posted something somewhere that it's like a hundred. It was like one hundred and forty nine days until Christmas or whatever. So it does, <laughs> it does happen quickly. But it's seriously like in the mountains. Like yeah. once September hits, like you got to you can't use your forty degree bag anymore. Like you got to start planning for a little cold weather. So it's coming quick for sure. Absolutely. All right. So uh, stop. We got a few things to go through. We got the we're gonna do a segment with the hiking buddies uh, on the show. But yeah. um, I'm just going through the list of opening stuff here. So sticker reminder. Is that just a reminder to like fill out the form if you want stickers, or is there something else you had in mind? No, for that? that's all. Just just letting people know that they're available, um, either by mail or in person by one of our sponsors down in Mass at uh, Spinner's Pizza Parlor. They have them as well. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, I got to get down there and check that oh, place dude, out. Oh, dude, it's, it's close. not that far away. Oh, you know what? Yeah. My mother-in-law is dying to meet you. She was hoping that oh, she, she could have met you uh, when they came up a couple weeks ago. <laughs> all right, all right. I'll go down there. Because my kids like my kids all have friends at like, because they go to school in Lawrence. So they'll have, they have friends in North Andover and over that area. Matter of fact, I was down in North Reading today. And um, so, you know, the pizza place is great. But if you're ever in North Reading, if you want the best steak and cheese, yeah. The Hornet's Nest in North Reading is a good place to go. Cool name. I'm always on the lookout for a good steak and cheese sub. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I'll have to try that. Um, do they do any? Do they do things besides pizza there? Absolutely. Yeah, you name it: All salads, right. calzones, the whole thing. You know, dinners, right. steak and tips. You name it. All right, I gotta go down there oh, and treat yeah. myself and get a steak and cheese. Yeah, dolls and pops. They they'll treat you with kid gloves. They'll roll out the red carpet for Mike. Awesome. Well, I used to work. So I, I spent ten years working. I worked at Prince Prince Pizza in um, Saugus. In Saugus. Wow. One, yeah, that big leaning tower there. All okay. Through like, like um, junior high and high school, and then into college. And even like when I graduated college, I worked there. I was doing doubles. I worked at a car rental place in Logan Airport for the first like few years after I graduated college, and then I was doing hours at Prince as well. So wow. I like the restaurant industry. <laughs> You didn't make your own place? No, not that crazy. Because that, that's like a business that owns you. You don't own it. True. I don't know how we got off in this conversation here. But anyway, no, if you want stuff. stickers, we'll include it in the show notes. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So um, is Susie and Alvaro after last week? Are they talking to us at this point? I thought it was a great episode. <laughs> I actually got a text, I think, from Alvaro saying that uh, he enjoyed listening and... Um, yeah, it's the same with Susie. I mean, no complaints, first of all. And we did receive a few texts and whatnot um, regarding the episode. So I think it was really well received. I had a great time on that episode. I thought they covered some really great ground and some deep topics, you know, personal stuff, which is always awesome with a guest, you know, when they can get personal and not feel, uh, you know, intimidated or embarrassed or whatever. So it makes for a really good listen. Yeah, it's fun to catch up too, and it's it's been interesting watching like our like extended hiking friend group yeah. evolve over the years. Where I think that you know, similar to what we were just talking about, like I think there was a lot of rage against the machine in our crew to start with, and I think that we're all getting older and a lot more mellow. So yeah, it's a, sure. it's an interesting theme that you see across uh, across human nature, I guess. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. 
Anyway, but yeah, if you haven't listened to Susie and Alvaro's episode, definitely check it out. Some good stories there and some funny stuff. Um, Stomp, you have you even been out hiking or anything? Have you been? It's your busy season when you're waiting around for calls. But yeah. like, what have you been up to? Oh, more or less just waiting for calls. We actually had a request from Fishing Game to give them some sense of who could show up for rescues over the last several days because they had some extracurricular things going on and some of the districts are light-handed so yeah i mean we put the the news out to members and this and that and i just ended up staying home all weekend and it worked out obviously for one of the rescues that we'll talk about but uh yeah you know honestly it's not been as busy as people think there have been a lot of medicals a lot of uh extractions helicopter extractions um but you know you know i'm hearing rumors that like the cannon tram shuttle may even not be in uh function next year because there's there's just no traffic so i don't know where the people went wow yeah yeah and i i I feel like again i haven't been keeping track of things as closely as i normally do as far as like documenting it but it seems like the there's sort of more high, there's a less volume, but more sort of high profile incidents that seem to be happening, like helicopters sure. and stuff like that. Sure. And I, from what I, I gather, talking to different people, people seem to be congregating at maybe, you know, three or four of the, the like Appalachia or R- Ravine Lodge as opposed to, or, you know, not even so much Franconia Ridge anymore, it seems. So I don't know where they're going, but, um, you know, obviously some places are getting slammed. Like, oh, even over here at Welch Dickey, you know, there are days where the, the cars can be down a mile and a half, two miles. So I don't know what's going on. But I think the, the COVID migrants that were, were coming up here in droves, I think they, they're done with their hiking phase and they're not coming up. I think we're getting back to normal, like pre-COVID uh, volume. Yeah, yeah, and it is. Yeah, I think you're right, and I also think. I mean, hopefully, like shows like shows like this, and like people getting on social media. Like, I hope people are starting to realize that, like those busy areas, like there's there's so many other options. I mean, like I was just talked about a few weeks ago, like up in Evans Notch, like I saw nobody. Right. I mean, even on the bald faces, like it was a little bit of a crowd, but not much. Like we had one group pass us that was big and that was it. Yeah. Um, so there's just so many options um, to, to hike and you, know, you don't need to be in these busy areas. Yeah. Or maybe the crowds are going to other places, but I don't know. That's anecdotal. I mean, they could be spreading out a little further, which we, we could hope, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of crowd stomp, I did something. <laughs> Matter of fact, I want to just share this with the audience because it's actually a cool thing that I would recommend. So we've we, we've had people on that have sort of given us advice on cool things to do in and around like the Whites and New Hampshire and Western Maine. So I got one more for you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're ever looking to like kill an afternoon um, or go check out like the Lakes region in Western Maine, mm-hmm. um, we every year I rent a boat and it's always like I mean me and Mrs. Mike just like you know we'll be cool during the day but like there'll be one one moment like when we're like docking or getting ready to get the tube out for the kids or whatever we'll we'll just go at it <laughs> you know it's like I'm telling her what to do she's telling me what to do and you know because we rent like a big pontoon boat and then so we had me and my kids 
and then and Kristen, my, Mrs. Mike, and then we had my brother-in-law, and then his three kids, and then my father-in-law. So there was nine of us on the boat, and um, we rent a boat at this place called Moose Landing Marina, which is on Brandy Pond in Naples, Maine, which is right uh, by the causeway that separates Brandy Pond and Long Lake. And these water systems are all connected. So mm-hmm. there's a river called the Crooked River that connects from Brandy Pond and goes into this lock system, which connects you to the Songo River, which gets you into Sebago. So we pick the boat up in Brandy Pond, load everything up, I get everyone tubing quickly. I'll toss everyone off the tube for an hour, get that out of the kids' systems, and then we'll go down this like little tiny river, and you go into this locks this this lock. Mm-hmm. And if you're if you're not in a boating, like you can still drive up to the lock, and people will just sit there in their um their, like lounge chairs, yeah, and hang out to watch like all the boats come in. So what they'll do is like this lock basically <laughs> drops up. It goes up and down like about five or six feet of water. Yeah. So that you go from Brandy Pond into Sebago, and it is the most stressful event of my year. I tell everybody this because you're like, well, you're in control of a boat you don't typically ride, right? I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I mean, and, and granted, like a a, a a pontoon boat is is essentially like if you wanted someone to teach someone to drive a car, this would be the essential essentially giving them like a golf cart. It's like simple to drive, right. but it's still stressful because you're in a narrow river. You got to maneuver through like you got maybe two feet on either side of these big pontoon boats that you got to maneuver through. Oh yeah, and then like nobody has a clue in the boat. I, like Mrs. I'm telling Mrs. Mike to grab something, and then I'm trying to get my my brother-in-law to do something, and then somebody screws up, and then I get mad, and it's a whole thing. Well, um, here's here's yeah. the parallel because that's yeah. my experience on a snowmobile. I had never done one before, and they hired yeah. me. They're like, "Have you ever tried it before?" I'm like, "No." But I'm a quick study, and they threw me on this massive engine, and I had to figure it out really quick. So I totally yeah. get it. Like, holy yeah, moly! Yeah. yeah. So, but it's crazy. So we made it through. The, so the lock is super cool. It was built in 1830, hmm. and it's still like the same. I think they rebuilt it in like 1911. But it's basically like they just pulled this big, like these big doors open, and the boats go in. It can fit probably about 12 big boats in the lock at, right. at its maximum point. And then the, the you have to pay like fifteen dollars or somebody there that's inspecting the boats to make sure they don't have any milfoil. And then there's um, a, the guy like does this big wheel that like opens up the water flow or, or releases the water. Yeah. And then you either drop down or you rise up depending on what direction you're going in. What's milfoil? Milfoil is like an invasive plant. Okay. So when we had um, George Pelletier on, he had talked about it a little bit, but it's an invasive plant that attaches to. Uh, the bottom of boats, wow. and then like it, it will just ruin a river. Interesting. Um, so, so anyway, but if you're looking for something to do, like there's an ice cream place right there that you can just get ice cream and then sit and watch the whole scene. It's it's pretty cool to just go and hang out and check it out. So it's called the Songo Locks, hmm. and I highly recommend it. That's awesome. Super cool. Yep. I did the uh, Charles River Locks once. Coming in oh, from the did. harbor into Charles River to see the fireworks. That was super cool once. But the a lock system yeah. is neat. It's very strange how they, they can pull yeah. that off. 
Yeah, it is cool. And it's like the the, the boat thing is so stressful because like Mrs. Mike and like the kids and my brother-in-law, like they literally are just waiting for me to screw something up the whole day. And then I'm stressing out about I'm not going to screw anything up. And I, screw, I I tried to put the anchor in. Have you ever dealt with an anchor on a boat? Like it's like no. this thing that flips and you got a hook in it. It's got a hook into the sand. And like, Oh, yeah. I tried to put it down and the boat just like I go swimming and I look at the boat and I'm like, the boat's going away and it's heading right towards this $100,000 speedboat. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I had to like dive down and like set the anchor so that it's stuck in the sand. Like it was a disaster. Oh, manual? You doing the Aquaman thing? Like I was. I had my like <laughs> goggles on and I'm like diving down to flip the the anchor over. I was a disaster. Oh my god! It sounds so dangerous. Oh, it was so stressful. I'm like, <laughs> oh, and I'm paying man. like 500 bucks for that to torture myself. Yeah, like you might want to hire a fishing game CEO to just sit on your boat, just with you the whole day, just in case. I know. I, <laughs> I need one of those like uh, below deck cruise ones. Anyway, that's my boating story. So, wow. If you know how to boat, next time you can come with somebody in the audience can come with me and drive the boat. Last time I was on a boat, I was like a teenager, and I was sick to my stomach the whole time. I did not have a great time. It was a sail sailboat. You know, nothing huge, but it may be like a 20-foot sailboat. But, oh, yeah, not my cup of tea. <laughs> uh, yeah. We used to do it. Like, when I was a kid, my friend had a house in Long Lake. Um, and we would go through when we were, like, 16, year old, 16 years old. We would go through this lock system by ourselves, no adults. And then we'd go over to Point Sebago, and we would always have, you know, friends that were staying over there. And we'd just go chase girls. And unsuccessfully, of course, but we would just, you know, we had a boat, so we were like... <laughs> The kings of the summer. It's so much fun. Good memories. Yeah, yeah it's it's a good time. But Naples, Maine, um, I think is Route Five. I, I don't I don't know what the name of the road is, but it's basically like this. It's this place called the Causeway that's between Brandy Pond and Long Lake, and it's got like Rick's Cafe, and it's got a pizza place, and it's got uh, three or four other restaurants. It's a great way to kill a day. Nap- Naples, Maine is, is highly recommended. Hmm. Okay, sounds good. All right, excellent. So, so you got a Ch- you got a Cheswick update for us here. Yeah, Cheswick, who uh, was a previous guest, and um, he's just a, an amazing high mile guy. As of seven twenty eight, July twenty eighth, he hit his halfway point for the Great Western Loop, which is over by the Pacific uh, Crest Trail, and uh, he added in some other things. So he's done essentially three thousand four hundred thirty seven and a half miles. Uh, he's 100 days in, so he has another 100 days to go. Can you imagine this? And, I mean, I don't think he's hitting 34 miles a day, but that's the average if you divide it out, which is... Yeah, he's probably got a couple of rest days in there and stuff, uh, so it's probably a little bit higher, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, pretty awesome. We'll get him back in um, towards the end and uh, interview him and see how that went. I know he's hit a ton of high snow, which has been problematic for him, but uh, he's still plugging along. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I know the PCT, there was an article that came out. I'll, I'll link this in the show notes, but I think they had to evacuate like 60 hikers. So somewhere in like the the California-Oregon border. Yeah. Uh, so there's there's a lot going on there that I, I don't think they're going to be able to like, they're going to either reroute it on the roads or they're going to have to just like skip those that section. But I'm assuming the Cheswick probably already cleared those areas by now. Well, hopefully. I mean, they're running out of time yeah. too, if you think about it, for the yeah. higher elevations yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, and I know our friend Matt, who was on the show, he's on the PCT. He's in. He had to skip 
some of those sections and was planning on coming back down to do Northern California or something. But I yeah. think he's in he's in Oregon or something. But <sighs> they've actually had a couple of nice days. He's been on the river. He's been um, you know taking some some zero days and having a good time. And yeah, you know he seems like him and his wife Hannah are doing doing really well. Hmm. On the uh, on the high mile kick, uh, Larson has some news too. Larson Ojala, who finished the launch to Dodge first, uh, followed by Steve. He just did three Pemi loops straight, nonstop. That's a hundred miles. So he took the launch to Dodge, which is what seventy plus miles, and uh, just banged out a, a triple Pemi. Um, he on the first day he was with Steve. Um, on the second day, he went solo for the second loop, and not—I don't—I don't mean to say day; I mean loop. And then on the third attempt for the loop, he was with two of his buddies, Travis Mahonen and Kyle Richards. Um, and yeah, pretty amazing. He's crushing it. Did he do this? And like, did he give you how much total time it took him? Uh, I posted it on the Instagram story, but I forget. I think it was somewhere in the the vicinity of twenty four to twenty eight hours, something like that. Oh wow! Yeah, so he was oh, cruising. Yeah, um, yeah cuz I think like most of these people that do like a single day pemi like the goal is is like if you can bang that out in under 10 hours. Right. Like that's that's impressive. That's like Yeah. crazy. Yeah, but, we'll um, have to correct it because I know it was in the 20s, but whether it was mid or high 20s I can't quite remember. But yeah. uh hell Awesome. And he just sent me a, a picture of a sticker that he got for the Lodge to Dodge. How cool is that? It's on his car. That's awesome. Yeah, it's wicked cool. Great uh, PR for that little route that we created. Yeah, well, congratulations, Larson. Absolutely. And, and all the, the support team. That's crazy. I will also be doing a Pammy Loop. Soon? Uh, yeah. I think I'm going to be out there August 12th to the 14th. I'm going to be on the Pemi if anyone's anyone's out there. I think in two days. Um, I'm doing like three. Yeah, so we're going to go two nights, three days, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. So um, we're going to go in from Lincoln Woods on, on Friday and then I think go somewhere. And then second day, we're going to probably camp out at Garfield mm-hmm. tent site and then just finish out the, the third day. Excellent. Sounds good. So I'd love to do yeah. it again, but my mileage is nowhere where it should be to do it safely. Yeah, I was like thinking, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it won't be crazy days. I think the second day will be, the third day will be long. Sure. Because you got to come up from Garfield tent site and then go over the ridge and then. And it's hot, man. Th- that, yeah, and then coming down to Osseo is a pain, but. Yeah, for sure. No doubt about it. Well, good luck. Keep me posted on that. Yeah. I won't be carrying anything weird here, Stop. Not like this hula hoop. I <laughs> you know, I'm actually really fascinated by this person. I put a couple of requests out there to, to see if we could hook up with this person as a guest because uh, her name is, uh, this was provided by Steffi uh, Bury, who is a listener, and it's G's Louise Hoops. So it's a hiker that hula hoops all around the White Mountains. And, um, you know, I've, I saw the first video, I'm like, oh my God, that's it, that's funny it's clever but then as you know somebody that sort of dabbles with audio and stuff like that i was watching her videos and the aesthetic of her videos is very um i don't know it comes across as like 1950s you know it's like 50s on top of a mountain and it's very cool she speeds up the pace the video pace 
And she, yeah, I'm watching it as you're talking. Yeah, and she adds tacky music. It's so great. So I, I just want to talk to her and find out, like, is, is she the one that's making the music and everything else? And uh, find out a little bit more about it. But she's amazing. She'll actually hike with this hula hoop. So it's neat. That's cool. So now if we if we just recap this now. So we've got a hula hoop. We've got Larry the Log. <laughs> yep. We've got the guy that push the peanut with the <laughs> yes. contraption on his nose. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've got, I know that there's a guy on the, the the AT last year that wore the like WWF wrestling belt. Oh, sure. Um, so, yeah. What else? There's cool stuff out there. What else can people carry? Like kitchen sinks maybe? Yeah, yeah. That's the next one here. So, um, <laughs> there is a group of uh, women who hiked with kitchen sinks mm-hmm. in order to raise awareness for um, domestic violence and gender equality. Right. So, and this happened in England. So it's England's yeah. highest peak. Um, very interesting. It's three gals. And if you look at the pictures, they have regular kitchen sinks strapped to their backs. And uh, it's sort of interesting. I don't know. Yeah, it's a good idea. It's good symbolism. Sure, sure. Yeah. For those that choose, you know, a route that's out of the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, between like Susie and Alvaro talking about Scotland, and then the photos in this one, like I really would love to get to like Scotland and Ireland and that area to check it out. So, what happens if one of these gals gets injured? Do they get billed because they were hiking rec- recklessly? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Or, I would assume one of them, one of them, or would they prepared the sink and take it down? <laughs> they were prepared yeah. because they had the sink, and you know they could do whatever they want. Oh man, it's too funny. Yeah. So, but as I alluded to earlier, our next little piece here is, uh, you know, it's August now, and winter is right around the corner. It really is. Like up in the mountains here, it gets cold quick, and come September. Um, I did come across this really neat snowboarding article, and uh, we'll just give you the link, but it's it's interesting because it's a snowboarder basically just yearning for those rage against the machine days of snowboarding where we were the ones that were like persecuted and prohibited from you know skiing on the mountains, and there were only like one or two places that we could ski to and um, now it's basically basically become this Instagram. Uh, you know, fad and just like pursuit of huge cash prizes. And this guy's like basically yearning for those early days where it wasn't so commercial and uh, exploited. He feels like the, um, you know, the, the, the big ski places are just exploiting snowboarding now. So it's a really neat article. So we'll post it. You can check it out. But uh, it's a, a good read. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem with all these countercultural th- things is that they eventually become mainstream. Pretty much. They lose their, you know, the, the, a lot of people, the appeal of these things is the idea that, like, you're, you are part of a counterculture. And I do feel like a lot of the activity-based stuff, whether it's music or outdoor activity or things like this, like, I feel like there's not... There's not as many I th- things are coming back. Like I know, like roller skating has become like a cool thing to come back to. But yeah. I feel like we, as a society, we kind of lack a steady pipeline of this counterculture activity stuff, mm-hmm. and that vacuum is being filled by like political um, and social stuff that is, you know, in some ways, some of that stuff's important. But I think a lot of it is 
Yeah, that's is, a good point. Is not as important. So I do wonder about that. Like, if is there a way to continue to get activities that people will feel like they're you know scratching that counterculture culture itch versus um, you know it just seems like everything is mainstream right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. That's true. I wonder if it's like a function of social media and everything else and, and the, the speed or pace at which fads or trends flip now. It's like, how can you even keep up? Who knows? It's true. Yeah, it's true. And I also think back to like back when I was into um, like sci-fi and fantasy writing back in the day, like that was always a sort of a nerdy thing. Like I wouldn't even admit that to a lot of my friends just because it, they'd be like, oh, you geek. Um, but like when the internet started, like it just opened up this world where you could find your community. Um, but uh, whenever you have a, you know this, and yeah. like we try to push against this when it comes to hiking, but like whenever you have a fan community, you inevitably create a gatekeeping culture around it and i think that's when things start to become like then you have these experts and then you have elitism and you know that's probably a lot of what you're seeing with with this the snowboarding stuff is that the original people are like yeah, it's not about that it's not about getting clout it's about um you know shredding with you and your friends but that's kind of lost now <laughs> it sure is <laughs> It's funny you mentioned that about the uh, the writings and stuff like that. Like the Tolkien fans are doing the exact same thing with the gatekeeping because of mm-hmm. Amazon Prime's new Lord of the Rings special that's coming out. And uh, you know you can do your own research on that. But holy moly, like the people that are hardcore protect the source material are really up in arms. Like yeah, I'm not watching it. Hell no. It's very yeah. interesting. Um, unfortunately, Amazon could have got away with it, but now they're like coming out verbally saying that, yeah, we're doing this on purpose. We're adding things that did not exist in the source material on purpose because there's a, a larger diversity that we have to explore. So it's really a pretty wild battle. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. We'll, and you'll see the same thing with like the um, Song of Ice and Fire, George R. R. Martin stuff. Is that like you know you can? Although he's got a lot more source material, like this latest one that's coming out in HBO. I was wondering like about the, that. It's the Dance with the Dragons yeah. um, story, and th- that's a pretty. He's got that pretty well fleshed out. As much as I give him crap for not writing, like he's got that series pretty much like from start to finish. It's done, okay. so they can follow along pretty well. What about but, what about the um, snow side story that they're doing? Jon Snow, like that'll be something that he'll have to um, <laughs> write on the know, fly. They, they, they're going to have to like take some creative license, and people are going to freak out about it. The same thing gotcha. when they were going to talk about the, and you know, we're really geeking out here on Game of Thrones <laughs> and stuff. But the same thing when they were talking about like the Night King and going back like two thousand years. Like, there's not a lot of source material for that. So interesting. It's fun to talk about. People get it. I mean, Game of Thrones is freaking huge. We should start like a, a, a like a, a, a sci-fi fantasy podcast. Off, we could go nuts. Uh, well, yeah, I have. We'll talk about that because there are some people doing that in certain realms that you'll find really interesting. But anyway, yeah, we'll change our names and like see if we, you know, the, not Hell, not mention Hellfire we'll Club. Like a, <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, uh, sponsors and coffee talks. Don't. Okie dokie. So we already plugged spinners because, uh, you know, they do have stickers and stuff. But if you're on, a, on your way home from a hike, they're right off of 93 in Andover off of Dascom Road and their family and they love the podcast and they'll take care of you if you come in and uh, say hi. And of course, we want to say hi to EMS and thank you. Your Northeast go-to for outdoor gear, guidance, education and more since 1967, two years before I was born. 
Check them out at ems.com. And then, last but not least, Reckless Brewing, where you'll enjoy the best food, craft beer, and fun just 15 minutes from Franconia Notch, many 4K footers, and less than 10 minutes from the five corners. Very good. And then for donations, we have three. Uh, and an anonymous <clears throat> donated three coffees. And then Linda B. donated three. Thank you, Linda. And then Shandy donated three. And uh, really ripped me apart for the, the tick jokes. And I'm like, all right, I can take it. <laughs> I can take well, the heat. <laughs> you're, getting, you're getting whack for the tick jokes. I'm getting whack for my, uh, my Eddie Bauer mountain shirt. So. Oh, that's right. Um, yeah. She's got to be careful. My wife picked those shirts out for me. So <laughs> Mrs. Mike might get fired up. So. Um, but I like those. I mean, I, I was... Um, my actually, my wife was asking me about this. She's like, "Isn't that like? Don't people wear those? Like, they seem like really comfortable. Yeah, they look fine." Uh, and I was like, "I see them a lot, like on um, people hiking." But I get it. Like, I, I I mix it up. Like, I'll wear like a wicking t shirt sometimes. I got a bunch of those running shirts, and then you know, lately I've gotten my neck sunburned really bad a couple of times. And like, I do like the collar just because it rises up a little bit more. You know what I mean? So you know, whatever works for people. I think you can wear whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, but. I think you and I dress as if we're ready to go hiking, which is great. Like, I yeah. always dress ready to go. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I always am. I love that. Especially in the winter. In the winter, I am 24-7, I'm in my soft shell pants. Those things are so comfortable. Oh, no doubt. And when I'm at home, I'm, I'm in fleece or cotton because I just love it. Because that's like your chill. Yeah. Like, ooh, this is cozy. <laughs> exactly but stop talking about winter we're gonna have a hundred degree day on thursday <laughs> i know um, you can tell i'm getting antsy i'm like give me the snow yeah i get it yeah all right so welcome to episode 69 of the sounds like a search and rescue podcast so this week i went rogue and i locked stomp out of this section of the <laughs> segment so he's going to be locked in the woodpecker studio while i get out and conduct an interview on my own so i reconnected with ben and julie from the hiking buddies to catch up on the latest goings on with uh, the region's largest hiking group so they're busy planning their mountains and micro brews event which is coming up in september uh, plus julie has recently finished her four thousand footer list and she was actually able to get Ben out for a hike, so we'll learn about her big finish and cover some other updates, including their partnership with the Alzheimer's Association Longest Day event. And um, it was just good to catch up with that crew and, and find out what they're up to. And uh, you know, we, we cover a bunch of different topics there, so um, really, uh, really good segment. And then later on, we will bounce back and we'll grab Stomp again and do some recent search and rescue news. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. All right, you drinking anything tonight, Stone? Yeah, man, I have found, this is one of our favorite beers, Mrs. Stomp and I. It's the Erastus, E-R-A-S-T-U-S by Schilling. Uh, can you see that? I'm showing Mike. It's, it looks good, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so good. Look at the percentage, 9%. So it's like an Abbey Ale. Um, it's beautiful. It's such a delicious beer. So we, I, yeah, we found it down at the Campton Cupboard of all places, and it cost basically uh, like a home loan. I had to get a loan out to purchase it, and then you know once I signed all the paperwork, they gave four of these to me, and it was just awesome. Yeah. yeah. Do you have like a number that you 
you like think twice about like for me like with these four packs of IPAs like I think pretty much like I don't bat an eye if it's like 12.99, 13.99 but once it gets up into that like 15, 16, 17 dollar then I'm like looking it's for absurd. some a packaging that I like. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I can't explain the prices but I think uh, some of the local smaller stores are just more expensive anyway. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's like I feel like and I don't know enough about this. I, I know a guy that might be able to, like Steve Steve would be able to give us some insight too, but I know oh, another guy that might be able to give us some insight. But I do feel like I'm less concerned about paying more money for beer if I know that it is going to support like a, a somewhat local business. Like sure. I'm not as concerned. Like I'd rather pay eighteen ninety nine for a four-pack than, than spend it on like a Budweiser or a Coors Light or something. Sure. I think the, the overall... Price would be around thirteen dollars for a four four pack of a craft beer. When it gets yeah. up around twenty, you're starting to think mm, somebody's sort of making a huge profit here. Yeah, yeah. Although you know, you never know like what goes into these things. That'd be a good thing. We'll have to remember to That's, ask Steve next time he's on. Sure, so. absolutely. But anyway, I'm still making my way through these True North, um, got a True coast North? to coast American Summer IPA. So I nice. still. I had one with Susie and Alvaro. I have one tonight, so it's like once a week. Okay. So I have figured out the arithmetic on these beers, though. It's like Steve told us about this. If the percentage of alcohol is higher, it's sweeter. And that's been my biggest problem with the taste of the IPA. Those lighter IPAs just taste like, ugh. I'm, Too bitter for you? They're bitter. They they remind me of grapefruit for whatever reason. Then you know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so I like the sweeter taste of beers, and that's why I think I go with like the the lagers generally, or like a stout. I don't know it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, no, I get used to it. And the thing I, I do like about these ones is, even though they are like a little bit bitter and they do have that grapefruity taste, it's like I don't feel the pressure to. I feel like when I used to drink in college, like there was this pressure to like keep up with everybody else and drink. <laughs> like, oh, I got to drink like a twelve pack before I go out to the party and all this crazy oh, stuff. Geez. Yeah. Now it's more like, you know, the, you can't, I mean, maybe some people can pound these, but like the idea of pounding an IPA just seems like crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hell no. Yeah. Yeah. Not if you're getting behind the wheels, that's for sure. Oh, by the way, this is, this is important. Did you hear the story about the guy in the car that got arrested in Woodstock for driving 160 miles an hour in his Corvette? Was he on 93? Dude. Oh, yeah, this is in the morning. He's driving 93 North, 160 miles an hour. The police, state police can't chase him for safety, so they put an all-points bullet in out or whatever the term is. They ultimately catch him in Woodstock because of traffic, but at when he's getting nearer to Woodstock, he's doing like 130 miles an hour. Even through a, uh, you know, right now they're working on Tripoli Road. So that stretch between exit, uh, I don't know, 28, 29, 30 is, is one lane, 60 miles an hour. This dude's doing 160 miles an hour. Unbelievable. Is he going northbound or southbound? I think northbound because of the, the way they describe the, uh, the traffic and the, uh, the work, work areas. I, like I said, south of Woodstock, they're working on a bunch of roads. So I think they were going north. Um, the report is on Instagram, the New Hampshire State Police. But you got to read it. It's crazy. 
Yeah, I'll check it out. Like that section too is like scary because there's some sections where you've got like a hundred foot drop down into the like the um, the center of the highway, and then there's no like guardrails or anything in some of those sections. Oh like yeah, got- totally. And this guy wasn't alone. From what I understand, he there were other cars racing, so it was like this Grand Theft Auto, Fast and Furious club or something. I don't know. If anybody knows what the hell's going on out there in this car culture, let us know because it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of my favorite all-time stories is like when COVID went down in like March and April of 2020. Like, it's so funny. Like, that most of the world is just like freaking out over COVID or whatever. Mm-hmm. These guys in California were like, this is our moment. And they were like, we're going to set the it. record for the East to West like <laughs> cannonball run. And oh, yeah. I think they averaged like 120 miles an hour across the wow. thing. So they set like the, the record. But it's so funny. Like, you know, that's they, hilarious. That w- that was they were smart enough to realize like this is our moment, whereas everybody else is like we're all gonna die. <laughs> Everybody's off the roads. Let's go. That's exactly. crazy. So wow. Anyway, but you do hear that. That is one of the things about New Hampshire is that you all <laughs> it, it, like a year or two will go by, but there's always that story of like some, and it's usually some twenty something year old kid from Massachusetts that gets busted for going like 130 through Manchester or whatever. <laughs> oh man, unbelievable. Anyway, thankfully, any any hiking for you, Stomp? I think you already said you didn't go hiking. No, but I I guess I can just briefly say that, you know, I I was attendant on a mission this weekend and I got to ride the Cog Railroad for the first time. So I guess I could talk about that for a minute. It was sort of interesting. It was cool. I don't think I would do it again because I, you know, it's like, um, you know, those cars can get so congested with people and so steamy and hot and sweaty. Like, it's not my cup of tea. I like less of the crowd scenario. But to look at the history of the cog and the way they work and the experience of going up such a steep grade like, um, uh, what is that steep section? Jacob's Ladder? Yep. It was really cool. They were really cool moments. So it was nice to do it once. And um, we were fortunate enough to have actually a conductor that was... Uh, you know, attending to us as we were in the car and it, just explaining everything. We got to the, the point where there's a junction where they have to mechanically switch two pieces of track so that two cars can pass each other. And I asked the guy, I'm like, what happens if um, there's no generator? It's like, oh, you go in that shed and you manually do it. So this is like, oh, this, wow. oh yeah, there's like a crank you in there and you just have to do it yourself. So it was really a neat time and I have to just uh, plug uh, Presby and the Cog, best crew ever. I mean, from top to bottom, at the cafe, on the grounds. It, these are just great people. Um, I, my my impression of them is changing uh, immensely. You know, you get the media reports and all kinds of stuff, and you just I don't know well, nothing yeah, but right? positive to say about that outfit. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I think people have to park like like you. You can't go back to like eighteen sixty nine and 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 change what happened like there's a railroad on there and yeah. you know it's a local business and it's exactly like you said like the i had my epiphany when you know i started really digging into the rescue situations and i realized like wow the cog really has stepped up like two or three times on rescues in the absolutely past. and then like i was like winter hiking one time and i decided i'm gonna park on the cog and just see what it's all about because i was curious and like exactly what you said going in there being able to like you know get get geared up for a winter hike 
talking to the people that work there, getting a hot chocolate, being able to use the restroom, being able to park there, you know, was a great experience for me. And, you know, as much as like, yeah, if I could go back in time and wave a magic wand, like, and leave no trace, like I would say, like, no, no railroad there, but we have to live with what we have to live with here. And the reality is, is that it's there, it's not going anywhere and they do contribute. So as much as you want, it's fashionable to say like, oh, I hate the cog. You know, they, they, they are there when somebody's in trouble. And yeah, and the crew are locals and they're engaged with the community and they love the community and they love what they do. They absolutely love, they're passionate about taking these trains up and down this mountain. And we were first priority for this event over the weekend. It was absolutely amazing. Like, you know, there were trains going up and down this thing. There had to be four to six other cars going up and down. And we were just like, escorted up there with you know first priority like the the health and well-being of this individual whatever the outcome they didn't care it was like let's go great great experience yeah well i was um i had the boat situation that i already talked about on saturday but i was able to get out on sunday morning and you know again it's like family was there i wanted to spend some time on the lake with you know the kids and my kids are going away to college so the more time i could sort of do family stuff the the better it is because i'm gonna have a lot of free time coming up but i um i was like i want to get out and go hiking so i drove up to uh, crawford notch headed down towards the auto road and i went up jefferson notch and i grabbed um caps ridge so i went up to caps ridge yeah i was like you know what so great it's it's a five six mile hike i was like I was kicking around the idea. Had you done it before? Oh, I've done it before, yeah. Oh, okay. It's awesome. Yeah, but you know, the last time I did it, I did it with my brother and my sister-in-law, Marissa, and my niece, Addie, Bigfoot, Um, and I think I spent the whole time like running up ahead so that I could get like these epic photos of Addie that I really didn't, maybe I didn't appreciate it as much, plus not to mention like on that hike, I was like going down Sphinx and coming back up the Great Gulf, so I had other (laughs) things on my mind, so that was just like... That was just like something I had to do on the way up to some other hike. So I I really took some time to appreciate it this time. And oh man, what a hike that is! Oh, what it's an amazing incredible, hike. incredible, absolutely. Um, the views, you know what it is? It's like it's like you're climbing like five little mountains, and then you can go yeah. from one peak to another. Like I've done the Castle Trail was like that too. It's got those little uh, those little little peaks as well that you can go go on but like this was just endless and you know it's so much bang for your buck it is a little sketchy and scary but it's not that hard like highly recommend especially like if you get a teenager that you you want to get them into hiking take them to caps ridge and have them go up because it's easy it's not hard it's not easy but it's not that hard and like the bang for the buck on a good day with the views is just can't be beat yep and you know that just for listeners this is really interesting because we would take tours of snow snowmobilers up to that point and i got it in my head to do it like winter but it never worked out we got rained out but that's at 3002 that is the highest state operated road in the uh, state so private is auto road that's the highest but yeah. state that's the highest point so it's at 3002 feet you don't even have to hike all the way up because my biggest complaint about that trail is that once you get above those those ledges it's like walking on the moon. Mm-hmm. I, I did not enjoy that field up to Jefferson once you get above the uh, ledges and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's I mean, tough. I was, um, 
I actually lost the trail. And this is a funny thing. Like, so yeah, Capsule, like I had full visibility, but when you're coming up, the sun is in your face. Yeah. So you're going right into the sun. So I have my sunglasses on and I could not stay on the trail. So I was fine well, oh, so until hard. I got to the trail junction of like where the cornice is. Like I could not stay on the trail. Like I actually went so far off trail to the right that I had to, I had to bust through some like brush and I got soaking wet. Yeah, it's in not one well section, marked. but well, it's not well marked. But if you are going down, it's the trail is like a hundred percent obvious. If you're going up with the sun in your face, like you sure. can't see the trail. Yeah. So what I started doing is I was like, well, I need to check myself. So I kept turning around. And looking down, and then you could see the trail was so obvious right in front of you, but like mm-hmm. you couldn't tell where you were going up. Yeah. So I can only imagine what that must be like with like low visibility. It must be a disaster to get up there. I mean, yep. I could check Absolutely. my G- my Gaia app, but it's it was an adventure. Yeah. But last point on this that that first big uh, rocky overlook that you reach when you bust out a tree line. Mm-hmm. If you're a family and you want to get your kids up to a really great sunset spot, that is probably one of the best spots in the region you know it's looking west and it's incredible it's not too much of a hike from where you park at the trailhead for caps ridge yeah no doubt about it matter of fact like if you had somebody that wasn't in good shape or whatever you got um you could absolutely hike to that i think that that's about a half a mile in yeah, it's not and bad. It's maybe it's maybe like three, four hundred feet of elevation gain, and then there's like this little rock that you just pop up on, and you can just see like down into like Crawford Notch Valley. You can see the um, the Omni Hotel. You can see out to like Bretton Woods. You can see the Sugarloaves. It's just yeah. unbelievable. So you're at the height of basically Mount Chikora. Yeah, and you can drive to it. It's it's awesome. It's super cool. For do you do you ever when you guys are doing snowmobile stuff? Uh, we're never going to get this show is going to go forever. Ah, this is when great. When you're doing snowmobile stuff, can you do you ever get hikers that are like, can you snowmobile us up to the Caps Ridge parking lot and we can go hike and then come back down like Amanusik or something? When that would happen, that would be a private rental because we had a deadline. Like if you if you purchased a two hour tour or a five hour tour, you had to be back by then. So private okay. rentals could do whatever they wanted to do. And I had it in my head to, at the end of the season, take a, a, a sled up to that point and actually hike it, you know, you know, with my spikes and whatever else. But um, that's possible, you know, uh, yeah. the, the perk of doing that, I guess, but never worked out. This year was so weird. We got rained out so fast. It just got destroyed. Uh, But if you're interested in doing winter hikes that are inaccessible, then a snowmobile is the way to go. But most of these outfits are not going to let you rent unless you have some experience, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And I would think that, like, my idea would be, like, can can I pay 100 bucks for you to just shuttle me up there and drop me off, and then I'll come down the Jewel Trail or something? I bet a lot of them would. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So they're going that way anyway. So hey, can I hop on with my my stuff? Yeah, so. it's a neat neat thing to think about. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, but um, so last thing I will say about Mount Jefferson is that yeah, I I, I got on trail at seven seven fifteen, got up there by like eight thirty maybe. Yeah, it was just quick. It took about a million pictures and. I sat there just looking at Mount Washington, and it was clear when I got up there. And then as I was sitting there, we got socked in. And there was moments where, like, we were completely socked in, and you couldn't 
see more than like a hundred feet in front of you. But like for the most part, like I just sat there and watched the clouds funnel through between like Jefferson and Mount Washington and then down into the Great Gulf. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, it cleared up on the way down. So it was just, it was all about the clouds. They were just putting on a show for us. It's so great when it's like that. It's better awesome. than like Bluebird. So much better when there's contrast with the clouds blowing through. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. But anyway, um, good stuff. And so, Stomp, we're going to dump out of this. Mm-hmm. I did a segment with Ben and Julie, who are, you know, the, the admins for the, the Hiking Buddies group. So let's bounce into that, and then we'll come back out and do some search and rescue stuff. All right. It's time for Slasher's Guest of the Week. Very cool. Very cool. And we are recording now, so everything you say can be used against you. Julie, how you doing now? We got, to, we got your technical, technical stuff all sorted away here. I apologize for my technical difficulties. Good evening, gentlemen. Should we be um, happy that you're in like, we're like four states away from you so your head doesn't explode? Yeah, we're four states away. Um, I'm not going to get too excited. Um, you'll notice if I do, but uh, yeah, being in Kentucky is a fun time. Um, definitely miss my, my home state in New Hampshire right now, though. I wish we I was where you guys were. Well, we'll get you into the mountains soon enough. So we're here with Ben and Julie from the Hiking Buddy. So we wanted to do a segment and catch up with the buddies. So I think, Ben, you guys were on like the, very early on. It was like you and you and Haley. Julie, you weren't on that episode, were you? No, and I believe I was away. I was probably traveling at that time. Um, so I missed out. And, um, but I listened to it multiple times and shared it. And it was uh, that was a great episode. Cool. Yeah, I definitely want to get an update from you guys on how Haley's doing. But um, I guess to start off with, just for the audience's sake, like I, I definitely am in the, the Hiking Buddies group. So it's just to give background, the Hiking Buddies is a Facebook meetup group that helps people to network around finding hiking friends. And um, typically there's like, what's the average, man? There's got to be like 30, 40 hikes a week, it seems like, right? Yeah, there is now. It's been uh, definitely picking up, um, particularly in the summer to fall. But uh, yeah, we have hikes all year round and, um, you know, anywhere from, like you said, 15 to 30 a week, um, typically. Yeah, yeah. So for for the audience, like if you're looking to get experience and you are not somebody that... um likes to hike alone like the hiking buddies is a great option to find friends to um to get out there with and you can probably jump into a group that's got got people that have a lot of experience so it's definitely worth checking out but from my perspective i haven't done a lot of hiking buddy hikes lately um i did some in the winter but um i've just noticed like steady growth amongst the group and i'm also seeing that like where i feel like the buddies was very focused on the four thousand footers i've it seems like there's a lot of hikes now that are outside that area um so it's not just the four thousand footers at this point um but i guess we'll get into sort of some of the the changes that you've seen ben in the in the group since you last joined us but first i wanted to introduce julie who was one of the uh, the leaders of the group um and, and talk a little bit with her uh, and learn about her background. So, Julie, can you just, for the the audiences, introduce yourself? Um, you weren't in the last episode, so I wanted to just sort of get a little bit about your background, talk a little bit about your hiking and outdoor um, experience. Um, 
Thank you. Um, I'm Julie. Um, I have been a part of Hiking Buddies New Hampshire 48 since I would say September of 2020, which was uh, soon after it was created, probably in June, right? Um, and I right. stumbled upon um, the Facebook group, um, just kind of searching for people to hike with, sort of what most people do, sort of people, um, you know, I don't have many friends that um, hike, so, and I'm an outdoors person, I like being outdoors, I tolerate the weather very well, um, but I was never a hiker, I would do local hikes back in Massachusetts, sort of like near the Fellsway and um, anything local in or around Boston. Um, but I wanted to learn more and I didn't really have anybody to kind of jump on board with. So my first experience up in New Hampshire was with um, two gentlemen that my brother introduced me to. Um, they were going on a five day backpacking trip. I had never been up to the whites before. Um, so they uh, were willing to take me on and they gave me a gear list and they said, get this gear list. Um, I had a level of trust just because they were, um, you know, good friends of my brothers. And we took off. And before you know it, um, you know, they're dragging me through, you know, dry river wilderness. And um, I went through, I don't know, sometimes nightmares and everything else. But it was, um, it was a great time. I, I learned a whole lot um, during those five days. Um, I tolerated a whole lot. And, and that's sort of where I got into the, the hiking, um, the day hikes. I knew I wanted to learn more. I wanted. I knew I wanted to do more. Um, but I, again, I still didn't have many people to hike with. So I kind of stumbled upon the group. And I think I remember creeping Ben. I remember I friended him. I was like, who is this person running this group? There's only like 300 people in there. Um, I don't know who I'm dealing with. But the more I kind of peeked around, the more I was like, oh, this looks, this looks like what I'm into, what I'm exactly looking for. And I finally jumped on a hike. And I think it was with Ben, one of his original founding members, um, and a, a few other people. And the I was so scared going up. Um, I, I'm going to meet a bunch of strangers. I don't know the whites. I don't know anything about it. Um, but I said, let's give it a shot. And if it doesn't work out, um, I would back off. Um, but it was one of the greatest days um, I had ever, ever had. I, I We laughed. We had fun. And it's sort of exactly what we're doing now. Uh, we just sort of repeat that process. We sort of just it really is truly just engaging people and getting them to be comfortable and getting them to be very curious and, and you know, to, to get educated um, through other folks like ourselves that, and we don't know everything, but, you know, when you spend a day with somebody, you learn a whole lot. You learn your, your tolerance. You learn what your abilities are. You learn, you ask tons of questions. And that's exactly what my experience was. So I knew right then and there, I was in for the long haul. Um, I think I jumped on one or two more hikes and I remember hiking with Ben and another group. I think we did, um, can't, uh, no, we did the, the Carters. And I remember saying to him, Hey, this is growing. It's growing. It's growing, you know, not at a fast clip, but at that time there was, it was growing. I was like, it's kind of a lot, you know, if you need help, I'm willing to help you. I'm willing to kind of, you know, talk to these people with you. Like I'm enjoying it so much. It, it's, a, it's easy. I can do this. You know what I mean? And yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he kind of backed off a little bit, and um, then it really did start growing. And then before you know it, I sort of just melded into the group. Um, and that's when I met Haley, too, was on that same hike. So, um, and here we are. Got it. And then, so if I'm understanding this then, so you did like a five-day backpacking trip with your brother's friends, kind of got into it, learned a little bit. But right around that same time, you were looking for sort of more networking, and, and you stumbled into the buddy. So you haven't been hiking, you haven't been like hardcore in hiking for that long then, maybe like a couple of years now, right? I would say a couple of years now, um, always, always just being outdoors, you know, I play golf. I, 
you know, I'm outdoors a lot and um, hiking was a, I was always very curious about it, but very afraid, very um, timid as far as what, you know, the safety aspects about it. Um, you know, who is out there? You don't know who's out there, what animals are out there. Like so many questions and you're very timid and looking for those answers and trying to find those people to just, you know, learn from. Um, and this is, this is exactly what I found in it. it I have um, grown a lot since and, um, I continue to learn every single time I'm out on a hike with a group. I do solo hike now. I, I do a lot of uh, solo day hikes. Um, I do appreciate that time alone. Um, sometimes you don't want to spend the whole day in, with, you know, chatting the whole day. Sometimes you just want that peaceful time. You want to challenge yourself and see where you can go with it. Um, so I do solo hike here and there, but I, I appreciate um, being with others too because it's not about them carrying me up the mountain. It's more about what, what can we learn from each other? How can we be curious with each other? What can we, what can I teach you? What can you teach me? Um, you know, and have a lot of laughs doing it because it, that's been my experience since I, I've been with the group. Awesome. And then you, so you have been focusing on the 4,000 footers, I think, but you recently completed that like a, a couple of months ago, right? Yep. I completed it. I believe it was, I think it was Memorial Day weekend. Um, again, no rush. No, I didn't have a time limit. Um, it actually was a relief to kind of get it off my fleet because I, I felt like a little bit of pressure thinking that I had to finish. Um, but at the same time, there was no timeline. Um, I found every single one of them uh, unique in their own way, challenging in their own way. Um, you know, people will say, what's the easiest one? And, you know, they'll ask a bunch of questions. I found them all to be challenging in some sort of way. Um, but I appreciated every single one and I can't wait back to, can't wait to go back to all of them and just do different trails and stuff. So that was a great hike. Um, I had a, a great group that went up with us. Um, very fun, very engaged. Um, you know, we started group chat prior to jumping on a hike and, you know, that's where, that's where you, you don't screen people, but you kind of get a feel for people. You see what their, you know, you kind of see what their experience level is. Um, you kind of weed people out. This might not be for you. This might, you know, maybe, and then make other suggestions. Um, but we had a great day that, that day we got Ben back out. <laughs> I hadn't seen, he was in hibernation for, I don't, for a long time. <laughs> and I was so happy. I have some questions about that for him later on. So watch it. <laughs> 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 we had a great day that day a lot of laughs the weather was perfect and um just you know my first hike was with him and you know that finish was with him and um it, it couldn't have been a better a better day um i'll appreciate that for a long time awesome um now one of the things that and i've talked to ben about this before but um my big hesitation with like these group hikes especially with the people that you don't know is i mean me personally i I feel like um, always responsible to make sure that like everybody has a good time and like I sort of feel like the and I don't know why but like I feel like I would be responsible in a lot of scenarios to make sure that I'm watching out for everybody and that they're all having a good time but also as I get older too like there's a little bit of that sort of like trepidation around like okay if I if I'm hiking with a bunch of young people like can I keep up at this point um, so like pace concerns sort of your position in the group and then my biggest, biggest fear would be getting sort of with somebody that was either not a nice person or sort of brought the, you know, just brought like a bad energy with them. So can can you talk a little bit about that? Like, and I don't feel like, I feel like most of the hikes I see, like everybody's showing great pictures and having fun, but can you talk a little bit about your perspective about these group dynamics that people need to be aware of when they're, when they're doing buddy hikes? It's, it's great to point out because it truly exists in, 
that comes with experience and knowledge and it comes with you doing a couple of buddy hikes and knowing knowing your group um and there's a, a touch of anxiety with me when i do plan a, a group hike um and it, it is so people have a good time it is like what you know there's so many what ifs like um and now my approach has been you know who who am i with i i know who my strong people are i know who might may struggle um and i do that background research going into it. Um, but you wouldn't know that when you're posting your first body hike, you wouldn't know, um, you know, you're not necessarily screening them up and down, but you, you don't know who you're hiking with. Um, so you're always thinking you have to be able to hike as if you're by yourself. And that is like the first message you say to someone. Um, and I couldn't stress enough communication because if we don't know what's going on, uh, the group doesn't know what's going on. If you, you can't tell us. And that, I think that's the most challenging thing. Well, besides pace, pace is a big one. You get a lot of people who are very worried that they can't keep up or they can't. Um, and for the, sometimes it happens. Sometimes you get a slow, a slower hiker that is, you know, they're not feeling it that day or they just don't have that pace. But the expectation is when I present something is it's the expectation is, um, we don't leave anybody behind, you know, and then I know who those, I have identified those people who will not leave somebody behind. Let's just say if I have to go ahead or whatever, but again, you don't necessarily know that when you first try a hike, you know what I mean? So it's very, it's very good to be very specific when you're hosting, when you're hosting a hike, put as many details as possible. So people understand the expectations and they, they kind of weed themselves out. Are you going to weed them out? Just asking more questions in a group chat. Um, Again, you don't know that really going into it. So uh, we're in we're in the background kind of coaching that a little bit you know we'll see a new per, you know somebody new hosting up hosting a hike and I might side chat them and say hey this is your first hike like you know do you have any questions like don't I don't want you to worry but I you know I do want you to be make you know are we hydrating do we have the 10 essentials do we um if you you know have you talked to these people personally do you you know did you on on the side do you know you know, their experience level, like ask these weather, weather's so important, you know, people think like a little thunderstorm and they don't, you know, it could turn into a big thunderstorm. You know what I mean? Like, do they have that experience level to know to drag people out of there if they had to? Um, there's so much that goes into it, but that just comes over time. And it, it's hard to, it's hard to teach somebody that until they actually do it. Um, so yeah. And I, yeah. And I can say like when I, I hosted like, and I'm going to host another one at some point in the next couple of months, it's just been crazy. But last year I hosted, a buddy hike to go down the Lincoln Slide, and I had my friend George, who I'd done another buddy hike with before, super strong. Like he's one of those young people that I'm nervous about. Like, can I keep up with him? But then we had like probably about eight or nine people that were like, "I'm in." And then it's like kind of like you said, I was like, "Look, I want to make sure everybody understands. Like, we're going to be going off trail. We're going to be hiking down a drainage. We're going to be bushwhacking in the Pemi." Like you need to, and we're going to be going 18 miles or so. And, you know, through those conversations, I think it was about eight or nine people that signed up. And at the end of the day, we ended up with a group of like, I think four or five of us. And I was like so nervous because I'm like, you know, first of all, I want to make sure that everybody has fun. Second of all, like, what if somebody's like really like not up for this? Because this is going to be a major hike. But like within probably about two miles or so. I was like, all right, this is going to be perfect. Of course, I ended up getting us lost and we're like bushwhacking through the middle of the PEMI, but we found our way through. Um, but it ended up being fine. So I do think that if people are hesitant about all these things, it sounds like what you're talking about, like there is a lot of pre-screening that goes into it. Um, and, you know, probably like don't sign up for one where you're going to be doing a bushwhack in the middle of the PEMI if, if you're not up for that and you should be fine, I would think, right? 
Yeah, you're brave for hosting that one. <laughs> I saw, I remember that hike. I remember when you posted it, and I wanted to jump on board. And I remember it was. I think it was full at that point. But that that's for your first buddy hike. That's a that's a big one because people sometimes bite off more than they can chew, and you know they're going to tell you they can do it. They have the gear. They have all these things. And in reality, it's up to you to kind of know who you're dealing with and knowing that you might have to bail. You might have to, you know, you might have to alter your hike your plan's never going to be perfect you know what i mean and but that's a yeah. when you plan <laughs> i don't yeah, well i had george with me and i knew george from hiking over the winter so i was sort of like all right between the two of us we can deal with anything that might go sideways but turned out everybody was super strong like we even had a dog with us and i was like i was like are you sure you really want to take a dog and like the dog was like perfectly suited for it so um but yeah that was an awesome hike but i will be hosting another one i'll keep in touch and let you guys know when that's happening um but as far as the other thing, oh, you know what I want to ask you, Julie, is like, I need to know, like, is there any hiking weddings that have happened? Any any hiking buddy babies that have happened? Like, we need to know, like, what's the scoop on that? So, I have, it's a great question. I have um, no knowledge of any buddy babies yet. Um, okay. I don't know any, I mean, we've known people, we know people who have um, had babies, but they didn't meet on buddy hikes or anything. They were already whatever. Um, we definitely know of engagements. Um, we just had a, a big one recently on Carrigan. I think it was in June. Um, it was really sweet. Um, I'm not going to mention names or anything, but it was really sweet. And they posted some great photos. And I don't think it was completely a sunset, um, but just so much love poured out of that. And now we're trying to invite ourselves to their wedding when it finally oh, yeah. happened. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, we had early on, we had a, a couple that was, um, you know, they ended up hiking just the two of them after so many buddy, buddy hikes they actually left the state so we have a few people that there are connections no doubt about it they're connections and it's so obvious when you look at photos or if you're with a group or whatever it is um and there's some great can i i can honestly say like it's probably better than any online app <laughs> if you were looking that's what i'm saying it's, it's like so again i'm married i'm i've been you know i've been out of that world for 30 years i'm not going back in but uh i would i always tell people like young people like i'll tell them like if you really want to get into like like, you know, forget about the dating apps. Like, you should get into hiking and then running. Like, those weekend road races or the weekend hiking, like, there's so many opportunities to meet meet people. So, uh, that's good. But I'm yeah. waiting for the first buddy baby. Yeah, we need a buddy baby. We need an official buddy wedding. Um, but you never know. Like, you keep your eyes open. And with that comes a little drama little you know people date and they break up and you'll hear some things and you're just and we kind of just shut our ears to that because that's just typical anywhere not just hiking so um but but it's good to see it's good to see people holding hands when at the end of a hike and you didn't know they were together and then all of a sudden they're like holding hands and it's adorable so it's like oh something more positive happened this day so yeah exactly and you pull them on one of them off to the side at the at the bar and find out what's going on yeah exactly (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Um, so, what is your current hiking plan? So, you finished the four thousand footers. Um, are you like a, are you a list driven person, or are you just doing things that, that excite you? I mean, I'd like to say I'm list driven just because it gives me a it gives me um, a map, right? It gives me uh, something. It, I, I'm not trying to chase lists or anything like that. Um, I do appreciate being out there and exploring and spending a lot of time out there by myself at times, um, and I like watching other hikes like. I watch what, you know, I like watching other people map things out and I learn a lot from that. And all of a sudden I'm saving and I'm saying that's something I want to do. So I don't, you know, the T25 list looks amazing. 
Um, you, you get to this point where you trust your abilities um, as long as you're patient and um, you have the gear, you will get through anything. And that's sort of my, my attitude towards a lot of these trails. I just say to myself, yeah, it's challenging. But if you take your time, I'll, I'll get to it. So there's a few that I, you know, T25s, the 52 list is incredible. Um, every view I've seen so far is, is beautiful. So it's something to follow, not something to chase. Um, and, and I want to do some more backpacking, you know, and that's, that's tricky. You know, you, you go out backpacking for a few days, you, you got to, you spend in a few days with people now. So they have to, you know, I want them to have some sort of experience level because I don't have all the experience. So I'm not just going to go out with any group. Like I'm, that's a, I'm really going to screen them. So, um, yeah, I look forward to kind of just getting up there and, discovering things that I don't know about. Um, but I love following other people's goals, like watching them accomplish things and crush things. It's so inspiring. Um, I've even followed a couple you've done and it, I, I, I put, I put them in my back pocket and I say, I, I want to explore this. Like, um, the wild river Red wilderness looks amazing to me. I don't know too many people who venture over there. So I, it, it's a lot of research on my end and I have to kind of take a step back and take, be real patient with it. Um, so I'm not really chasing anything, but looking forward to just kind of spending time up there. Nice. Well, that, that's great. And um, it seems like you're probably meeting a lot of friends and they're, they're probably pursuing like the 4,000 footers. So doing repeats on those things, and those will be uh, pretty common for you. But just talking about the backpacking piece of this, I wanted to know what's going on with Haley. So for the, the listeners, Haley is the other um, admin for the Hiking Buddies group. And she was on the show last time. And my understanding is she's been on the AT or she's still on or is she finished? She's still on her last check-in. First of all, I'm so very selfish. And I think many of us are because we love her check-ins and we want to know everything she's doing. Um, her last check-in was about two days ago. And she said she was 118 miles from the finish, right, Ben? I believe. Yeah, 118 miles. Yeah, she's really So close. that puts her smack in the middle of Maine. So she's beyond that now, probably. Um, and, and she's crushing it. And she's been really open about it. And she she's shown her struggles. She but continues to like, but is crushing it at the same time. She's just unbelievable. Her pace, you know, so she, she's doing amazing. Her smile is still huge. Um, she looked great. We did see her a couple of weeks ago when she was in New Hampshire. Um, our buddies got together and we provided some trail magic. And uh, I think there was a group of about 20 of us that got together um, and met up with her and, and saw her group. And it, it, again, I'm so selfish because it's just so awesome to see her, but you also see how long they've come. You see it in their face, you see it in, you know, their bodies, you see like, you know, but they're so happy to see you at the same time. So cannot wait to have her back. That is my selfish side. Um, but she is accomplishing crazy goals out there. She, um, her and her crew that they've been together the whole, most of the time, um, looking forward to her finish. I couldn't tell you about her plans or anything like that. Um, but I can tell you that she's shared her journey, um, with all of us as far as, you know, social media and some side chats here and there, but um, she's doing very, very well. I can't wait to see her again. Awesome. And then did she start by herself or did she have a group of people that she started with? I believe she had one girlfriend she was hiking with. And then very quickly, I would say within a month, there was four or five of them, I believe. Yeah. And they've been yeah. together ever since. Um, yeah, and that's a good lesson for people that are thinking about like if you do want to do a through hike. Like I hear this story so many times. Like, don't worry about like oh I have to go with like five or six friends or I'm afraid I'm going to not meet anybody. Like every single person I know that does the through hiking that sticks with it ends up finding their trail family and getting connected with it with an awesome group of probably usually lifelong friends. Yeah, that, that's for sure, and it's very evident. Um, they almost feel like family when you see them because um, we've heard about them. You know, she's told their story a little bit. So you kind of, when you finally see them, it's just, it, it was a, 
great to witness and it was great to you can tell that they've been through a lot together um and it was awesome to see and they will be lifelong friends that's my guess awesome great so now we want to highlight the mountains and microbrews um event um in a minute i'm going to talk a little bit more about that with ben at this point but i did before breaking over to ben i did want to ask you as somebody that's in and around the new hampshire area quite a bit is there any um any advice that you have about things that like people that may not be as familiar with new hampshire uh, could do that maybe aren't not that are not hiking related you know anything you want to highlight around food beer activities shopping experiences what's your best secrets See, that's the thing. I don't really have any secrets. Um, And the reason I say that is because I'm willing to try something new all the time, especially somebody else's recommendation. So I'm willing to try, you know, a new restaurant or a new brewery, or I love when somebody drags me somewhere, or, you know, here's this watering hole where you can go swimming. Like, I love when somebody points it out because I'm just, you know, I want to know where these spots are too. So, but what I can say is everywhere I've been, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's a hostel, whether it's a hotel, whether it's a brewery, Anywhere I've been, um, the staff and the employees are the most helpful, friendliest people, and I'm so happy to have you there. I can honestly say that anywhere you go, you can ask questions. You can, you know, you are so welcome wherever you go, um, and it's always a good experience. Um, so I don't, you know, have particular favorites. Sort of some of my favorites are so crowded, anyways, that you don't, you know, you don't, you want to steer people away from them because I have to wait to get into them. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I can honestly say like it's just genuine people up there that love to share information. You know, they live there, work there and they've been there forever and they're, they're waiting for you and they're ready to welcome you. And like, just ask them any question you want. I've gotten unbelievable information from them and they're just so willing to share and happy to have you there. So wherever you go. Yeah. Yeah. New Hampshire is a great state. Um, and then Ben, you're probably like Storyland at Santa's village at this point, right? Um, yeah, to be honest with you, I haven't been to either of those, but my son has. So um, I've managed to to avoid both of them, but we do other things up there for sure. Um, but uh, for the most part, more of the outdoorsy type stuff for me versus the, the theme parks. Awesome. And then so you 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 had a little bit of a break from hiking and you finally got out with uh, for Julie's 4,000 footer finish. Can you talk a little bit about like getting back into it? How, how are the hiking legs doing? Oof. Uh, that was rough to be honest. Um, yeah, so I don't winter hike. In fact, I'm a pretty fair weather hiker. Most of the time I get a lot of, a lot of grief from a lot of people, um, you know, within the group for that. But, uh, yeah, that was the first time I had been out since, um, I think August, um, the prior year. Um, so it was August to what, May 29th, I think was your finish, right, Julie? So, um, yeah, the hiking legs were, were jello. Um, the good thing is we had people of all different paces come out for Julie's hike. So we were talking about pace earlier. Um, it was well communicated. There was a, a, a big group of people who wanted to support Julie and her finish. So we broke up into different groups right off the bat. So we'd be split up and the faster folks, um, sort of went a little bit ahead and, um, and then we played catch up. Um, I wanted to stick with Julie. It was her final. It was really the reason why I came out was just to support her. Um, I wasn't able to make Haley's and I've had, I've lived with guilt, um, since Haley finished her 48 because I wasn't able to make it. So there was no way I was going to miss Julie's particularly, um, on a holiday weekend when I had some free time. So, um, but I met a lot of, um, you know, great people on that hike that I wanted to meet for a long time. You, you see a lot of personalities in the group. 
um, there's a lot of regular commenters and a lot of regular hikers and people that you've either hiked with in the past, seen at an outing, or just really wanted to meet. Like uh, Andrew Barlow would be like the perfect example for me. That guy makes me laugh like probably more than anybody that I know. And I've never met him in person until Julie's hike. Um, so he, you know, that was, you know, I was really excited just to meet Andrew in person. He's like a celebrity on the page now, I think, because he's ridiculous. Um, and then Brian Chase and Chase Hall. I've, ch- I've, I've hiked with Chase Hall before. And, uh, you know, uh, just a, just a lot of, of great people on that hike. The original hiking buddy, Phil DeFeo, was there. Um, so it was, it was just a lot of fun. So I was glad to get back out. Um, and I, it was a pr- good prep for the, um, for the Pierce hike that I did for the, um, the Alzheimer's event as well. The longest day. Awesome. And we, what was the mountain that you finished on, Julie? Uh, I finished on Jefferson and we did that, uh, castle trail up and we went castle oh, yeah. ravine down <clears throat> and, um, oh. we, we had some challenges that hike. We did have an injury, um, you know, we learned a lot on that hike too. It was a lot of fun and games for a while. And then um, we, we definitely laughed like he was just mentioning, but um, we had some moments where it was, it's challenging, you know, and um, we did have an injury, um, but we all made it back down. We actually took two separate ways down. Some went down Castle, and uh, some of us went down Castle Ravine. Yeah, that's, that's not a get off the couch hike, Ben. So yeah, yeah, I did want to. Yeah, it was a tough. It was definitely a tough hike for somebody who hadn't done you know any exercise and in, in probably more than longer than I'd like to admit. Um, I did want to. You know, you mentioned you know pace and energy and sort of those things when you go into a buddy hike, particularly with people that you don't know. And um, and I, I I wanted to jump in earlier, but it didn't. But um, one thing that I would recommend if any of your listeners are planning on either joining or creating a buddy hike is that that really is the only complaint that I ever get is pace. And the problem with it in almost 100% of the instances is that there's just not enough communication beforehand. Um, and, uh, or, or, or I guess self, um, awareness um, beforehand there's nothing wrong with with hiking slow at all like in fact i would say that some of the people that have the most fun in our group are slower paced hikers who the reason why they love the group so much is because they can find their their turtles right they can find their people and they can enjoy those slow paced hikes um and i that's fantastic and 100 percent why we're here and there's um i think the 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 right pace is whatever pace you enjoy right so um it's just about making sure that the people that you're hiking with have that same understanding that hey listen like i'm going to be frank i'm going to be taking my time on the way up and really you know enjoying myself and not pushing it and taking frequent breaks and that's how i hike are we a good fit and they may say yeah that's how i am too or they may say i'm a little faster but i don't mind going slower you know to have some company or they might just say hey this isn't a good fit but if those conversations happen in the be in the beginning um then i think you avoid that entire situation and 99 percent of the time it's a good hike people enjoy it they have a great time um they usually meet good people and have great conversations um i just that's the one thing that i would say you know, for anyone listening is just make sure you just, you know, hammer that out ahead of time. And then, and then you don't have to have those concerns and those anxieties when you go to the hike. Got it. And do you, um, and, and I don't know if, what you, if you have any insight in this or not, but 
do you see like any sort of types of hikes that are underserved from the group? I think obviously like you get a lot of 4,000 footers, but like, do you feel like there's not enough people doing 52 with the views or not enough people looking at Western Maine or not enough people doing like the terrifying 25 sort of hikes? Or do you feel like there's a pretty good balance on, on, on the types of hikes that are being done? Um, I think we definitely do lean into the 4,000 footers, um, for the most part, because that is sort of what we're, we, you know, what we started at and generally the list that's probably the most commonly, um, attempted from members of our group. That's sort of how most people run into us. So, um, I would say the one that we had the biggest need for was the beginner hikes and sort of the first timer buddy hikes. And, um, it was because people typically have never been on a buddy hike, their biggest concern is I'm going to be too slow. I can't keep up. You know, I, I don't know what to expect. I'm afraid I'm going to hold everybody back. I mean, I get that literally multiple times per week um, from people via message. It's it's one of the most common questions that I have. And so I did ask, um, you know, when we see a need, we try to address the need as best we can. So I did ask some of our leads um, and by leads, I mean, people who regularly lead hikes and, um, you know, are experienced and patient and that I knew were um, patient, I said, hey, would you be willing to give back to the group? And so I had conversations with Andrew Barlow and um, a few other people, um, John um, and others, and said, hey, would you be willing to set up a first-time buddy hike where you say this is open first to people who have never been on a buddy hike and then... If it doesn't fill up, then you can open it to others. And the first one that got posted was filled in, I think, a half an hour. Um, and the second one that was posted was filled in 24 hours. So there was definitely there's definitely this like stalker group, right? And we love our stalkers, right? Because you have to build the confidence. You have to see people doing it, people having a good time. You need to read the stories, see that other people are going out on their first buddy hike and um, – and it's a good experience before you're going to take a leap and go meet random people you don't know to do something maybe you haven't done or haven't done a lot of. Um, so we don't mind. Like we love this. We love our stalkers. But, you know, we needed to give them a conduit for them to say, hey, this is for me to finally take this step that I've been thinking about for the last month or two. And um, that's what that's what those um, first timer hikes were. And sort of what they accomplished um and so we i've actually been pretty proud about that i don't think we're missing anything because frankly if people want it they can set it up we don't put any rules about where they can hike um so anything is anything is open awesome all right well changing the topics a little bit one of the other things that i've noticed is that um probably since we last talked like i think you were you were doing this a little bit but i think that like the the level uh and the quality of the like the the cover photos that you're picking now uh, for the group, like it, it's gone to like another level. Like there's been some amazing quality photos of, of groups. And I'm, I tend to be more of a, um, when I take f- photos, I tend to be more of a, uh, like a landscape photographer. Like I don't do a lot of like people photos, although I do when my daughter hikes with me, I'll try to get photos with her and, and my, my niece or whatever. But uh, for the most part, I tend to be just like not putting people in the photos as much. But your group, you have like a, uh, some amazing like sunset and sunrise group photos. Can you talk a little bit about what you look for in a photo and your thought process around it? Like, do you just know when you see something like this is going up or do you do you have like a methodology on that? 
Um, it, it's I'd say it's bifurcated. There's two two ways that that happens. One is I just see a photo and I just love it. Um, in fact, the one that I put up today, um, I changed it today, was just two ladies holding hand, you know, holding one hand up in the air and just like celebrating. They had no view behind them, just complete cloud cover, um, but huge smiles, you know, hands in the air, excited to be there together. Um, and so I just see it and I know, like this is this represents what we're about right these two people came together had a great time connected and are proud of the accomplishment right so that just screams like that that's our that's that's our mantra that's what we want people to see and know when they see us the other thing is um you know the other thing that really like kind of pulls on my heartstrings most of the time is if it's a new a new group or new people first timers or a finish so um if i if i see hey you know a couple people were on their first ever buddy hike or whatever um you know if there's a picture in there that has a group photo um that typically will be um that'll typically make um the cover um i don't always have time to keep up with it as much as i'd like i mean sometimes you know some weekends we'll get you know 10 hikes or 15 hikes with photos and i obviously can't put all 15 of them up so sometimes there are hikes that kind of fade but it's just some recognition and some really appreciation and just saying hey i see you thanks for being a part of the group and um you know thanks for representing um you know, the good things about this group and, um, you know, all smiles, you know. Awesome. And then uh, can you talk a little bit about, since you last spoke with me, can you just give sort of your your impression on how the group has grown, how it's changed, and then sort of talk a little bit about sort of the community involvement that that has started out of this? Because I think that's been like huge, like the, the, the partnership that you did with The Longest Day um, and then your, your previous event and then, you know, coming up with um, – uh, the mountains and microbrews um, event that's coming up in September. Can you talk a little bit about that that evolution? Yeah, I mean, the f- first time we spoke was about a year ago, and we were we were setting up our first mountains and microbrews event um, last year. So this this year will be the second one. Um, so our group is at thirteen thousand five hundred ish members right now. Uh, we're adding about seven hundred per month, um, so it's growing fairly rapidly as um julie said she joined when there was 300 people about two years ago so um you know clearly it's um consistently growing um i would say out of the 13,500 members um you know 80 percent of them are more there for the the pictures and the idea of it more so than necessarily um jumping on a hike but we've we've probably seen a good 2,500 or so people, I would I would estimate, who have actually gone on a hike at some point. Um, but, you know, we had a conversation. Um, you know, I started seeing the numbers really tick up, and we did the Mountains and Microbrews event last year, and we um, took the money from the, the shirt sales, um, you know, the profits from there, and we rolled um, – that into a donation for a 9-11 charity because our event actually occurred on 9-11 called Tuesday's Children. And uh, and I was proud of that. And as the year went on, I started thinking to myself, this group's getting pretty big. And I think it would be irresponsible, you know, at this point to have a group this size and not do something good with it. Um, You know, it just seems like it's 
the people you meet are too great, right? Like the hikers are some of the best people you'll ever meet. They're giving, they're humble, they, you know, they're a lot of fun. And it just seemed like um, there, there had to be more than just a Facebook group. Like we can't just stay a Facebook group. And after all, we're, we're also a social group, right? Um, so, you know, we decided we we're going to do mountains and microbrews again this year, um, and we're thinking about different things we could donate to. But during that sort of process of, of planning, we were approached by um, the Alzheimer's Association for their 48 Peaks event. And typically, I, I do sort of push back because we get a lot of requests for fundraisers um, pretty frequently, actually, um, for a lot of very um, good causes. Uh, but we don't want to turn into just a constant request for money and for people to fundraise because that's really not what we're we're doing it's sort of a secondary thing and and i think i'd rather do a couple things really well um throughout the year uh than try to do too much and so we decided that the 48 peaks event with the alzheimer's association really um matched up with what we do which is setting people up for hiking and so um, we took that on. That was the first major fundraiser that we've ever been a part of. Um, we ended up rallying 32 teams together. We had 285 hikers um, from our group participate in it. Um, our group raised $155,000, um, give or take. I think it might be over that at this point. Um, that was over 71% of um, the 48 Peaks total fundraising. So in general, you know, my, like the people in our group just crushed it and I couldn't be more like thankful for them for, um, you know, for, for, you know, taking the bull by the horns and really jumping into the vision of, of doing something like this, um, as a Facebook group. I mean, at the end of the day, we are just in quotes, a Facebook group. Um, but we did something really great and we raised a ton of money for a really good cause. And, um, and I think, uh, you know, the Mounds and Microbrews event that we're doing uh, in September is sort of another, not 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 really a fundraiser. It's really going to be just our annual get everybody together event for a great time. Um, but in doing so, um, you know, we sell a T-shirt as the registration. So you buy a T-shirt, you're registered for the event. And then, you know, proceeds from the T-shirt sales um, are going to go to the search, uh, a few of the local search and rescue um, volunteer groups um, locally. And the reason why we chose them is because we've, um, you know, we had a couple, you know, unfortunate incidents, not not necessarily just with our group, but just in the whites, you know, back in uh, in June with the gentleman from Andover, who was, who was not a part of our group, but it was a pretty heart, heart-wrenching story to hear you know, about his family being left behind and, and everything that occurred on that and knowing that this, the SAR folks, you know, had to go and, and retrieve him. Um, and then on top of that, we've had, um, you know, a couple of recent incidents, even with our own um, members that have occurred. And, and, you know, you just have to appreciate those people and the time and energy and effort that they put in. And if, you know, if somebody's going to um, support the SAR groups, it's going to be it's going to be our group. We're going to lead the way and, and try to set the example. Um, so that's what we're going to be doing. So we encourage everybody to try to come out to the Mountains of Microbrews event and um, and uh, and get registered and, and have a great time. It's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. And then where is where is it and when is it? 
Uh, it's on September 10th this year. Um, it's at um, the uh, Twin Barns Brewery uh, in Meredith, New Hampshire. It, they have a large beer garden where we set up cornhole, which I think last year the cornhole actually got really fun around 11 p.m. That was when it, it really took off um, in the under the lights. Um, we have a campfire. We made s'mores last year. I don't know if we're doing that this year, but we have um, a live band. We did a sing-along around the fire, which was a lot of fun. We may throw in some karaoke this year. Um, so it's just, you know, it's just people coming together who have something in common, right? And have things to talk about. And, uh, and maybe you've seen people on the hike, or maybe you don't know anybody and you just come either alone or with a friend and, you know, you just want to meet more people and kind of get connected. Um, whatever your, your, your reason, like the bottom line is you're helping support, you know, search and rescue, you're coming, um, and you're being a part of something, something bigger. And, um, uh, and there should be a lot of fun. So, if, you know, encourage everybody to come. It's going to be a great yeah, time. Yeah, I got to try to make it this year. I can't remember if it was Reach the Beach conflicted. I think Reach the Beach is the following weekend this year. Maybe it was conflicting. Um, either that or I might have had like my my oldest was high school stuff. So I've got two moving off to college now. So I've got a lot more free time this September, I, I noticed. So I'm going to try to make it for sure. Um, is there... Your Flags um, of the 48 is the next day too. So we're encouraging oh. people, if you're coming for Flags of the 48 on um, the 11th, which is a Sunday, um, come up on Saturday evening for our event. Um, stay overnight at a campground or somewhere locally in Meredith. There's a lot of beautiful places. And then... And then head up to uh, to do the uh, 48 Peaks in the morning, and I'm sure there'll be a number of people from our group that'll be um, that'll be participating in 48 Peaks as well. Awesome! And I'll make sure that we include uh, a link to signing up in our show notes, and I'll highlight that across our um, our social media as well. But I think the best way to get information would be to um, you know join the Hiking Buddies Facebook group if you haven't, um, or just take a look for the uh, the links on our pages. Perfect. Yeah, um, and just going back to the SAR stuff. So, Julie, you touched on this a little bit. And I remember this story um, going up the, I think it was either the Castle, I think the Castle Trail. And then we also had, there was another incident with uh, uh, with a little bit of a scare on Mount Pierce. So, do you, Ben, do you want to, or Julie, do you guys want to talk about any of the sort of the incidents that you, you guys have experienced around search and rescue with the group? Yeah. Um, well, I'll just talk about John real quick. Um so a lot of people have seen this story, um, but they don't know the backstory about John, which I think is um, is important to like point out ahead of time. And I've I've tried to communicate it through the group, but um, you know I'll just touch on it here. So John Swindlehurst is, um, and I, I'll give his name only because it was all over the news already, and I'm sure he doesn't mind since he's 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 talked about it many times. But um, he is um, he is a he he's, he sets up a lot of hikes, and um, he's probably one of the most prepared hikers I've ever seen out there. Um, he carries a lot, of, like probably more than most people do in terms of um, being prepared. And last winter, he was on a buddy hike, and one of the buddies slipped and um, really either broke or fractured her leg and kind of slid down into a ditch. And... Um, John had, you know, a pulley system to get her out of the to get her out of the ditch. He had a an air mattress to get her up off the frozen ground while she waited. He had a blanket to keep her warm. He had, um, you know, just 
everything like a brace um to 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 brace her out um he had everything like there right he's this super prepared guy that just you know wants to be ready for anything and you know sar came um helped get her down off the mountain and um she went through the healing process at the hospital and so forth so so when i say that i think he's a very prepared guy like i mean it and so he was one of the gentlemen who i actually said would you be willing to do a beginner first time buddy hike um and invite some folks to go who have never been before and that's what this hike was and he started having um chest pain and fatigue that was not normal for him on the way up um, and turned out to be um, you know a cardiac episode that he um, that he had as he approached the top and um, he made it to the top with the help but uh, with the help of the other buddies in the group uh, but having to stop every 15 or 20 you know steps on the in the final bit and um, and then they were able to get you know a helicopter a Blackhawk helicopter up there to 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 take him and to get him to the hospital. He was in the hospital for uh, a couple days. And, um, you know, he's on the mend. Um, but the reason why I wanted to point out that he was so prepared is because it just goes to show that it can happen to anybody. Like, it can happen to the most prepared hiker. Um, something can happen. You can break something, hurt something. You can have, you know, that one time when something occurs that has never occurred with to you before it can happen when you're on a hike and um that is one of the benefits that we really push about buddy hiking is that if you're on a buddy hike you're not alone if something were to happen you have at least someone there to get help to make a call to try to do what they can do um even if they're not trained do do something to try to help you in the meantime um until you know search and rescue can arrive and um so that's my uh, long-winded answer to your question. Yeah, yeah. And those cardiac situations, like especially, like I'm, I'm 50 now, so I, that, that's always in the back of my mind is like over the next 10, 15 years, like because my father actually experienced, like he went for a stress test and they were, they, they were like, yeah, you're 99% blocked. And like that always, and it literally he's within an hour or two, he's in the hospital getting prepped for a quadruple bypass. So it's like that, that stuff is always in your mind because you don't know when you're walking around with, with a situation where you are 99% blocked in your, your arteries. Um, and it's just like so lucky that John was in a situation where he had a group with him that, you know, he could, he could rely on to, to help him out. So we'll, I'm definitely going to get him on at some point. I wanted to just sort of, before reaching out to him, um, let him have some time to sort of process and sort of see what his, recovery is on it you know because i am curious to know like how long you know it'll take to recover from something like that and then sort of the mental aspects of of dealing with that because really like that's that's an amazing story and it's really like a dodge of a bullet for for him so i'm glad that um you know everything has worked out so far and that that story about like him being prepared especially winter hiking like i can't say enough about the need for like having a sleeping pad with you if for exactly that situation like without a pad that person could have had like only like an hour or two before they really got in big trouble a pad will allow you to be in a winter situation for eight or nine hours so it, it's a big big deal so john sounds like a guy that really knows what he's doing yeah, and just to point out, I mean, you know, for those who haven't been on a buddy hike who are listening, or maybe people who don't hike, I mean, these stories are, they happen, but they happen, they're, you know, they're fewer and far between, you know, I think we've only had maybe 
two to three situations like this in the two years that we've been operating. And, and we talked earlier about how many hikes we're doing, you know, uh, every week. And uh, so, you know, it, it's not something to be fearful of in my mind. It's something to be prepared for. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that, that point gets lost sometimes because, I mean, even in the show, we talk about like a lot of search and rescue news, like national news, local news. But the reality is, is in New Hampshire, there's about 200, maybe a little bit less than 200 media reported search and rescue events per year versus I don't know how many, there's got to be like over a million hiking activities per year that go on in New Hampshire. So the chance of an incident happening is so slim in the grand scheme of things when you look at the numbers. Uh, obviously, like you miss that and you always want to be prepared for the worst case scenario, but you know, it doesn't happen that often. Absolutely. So it uh, looks like Julie dropped off on us, so hopefully she'll hop back in here, Ben. But um I did want to find out, like, when are you hosting a, a hike? Like, what, is, what does people need to do to actually get a chance to go hiking with you and Julie? Um, Julie's been very, <laughs> Julie's been very active um, setting up hikes, and um, her hikes get very popular. Um, you know, most of the time when she sets them up, so they don't last too long. Um, I would say that if someone wants to hike with Julie, um, you have to have your eyes on the page or, or send her a private message and say, "Hey, what are you thinking?" Um, for me, um, I don't have anything like on the books right now, and I'll give you a little bit of a reason why. So, I, I've been, I was making the trip up there a lot, and I enjoy going up there a lot. What I don't enjoy is the commute. And anybody who comes from Massachusetts or Boston, um, you know, knows what that commute can be like on a day hike to go up super early in the morning, be there, you know, seven a.m. boots on the ground, and then drive all the way home after a hike, you know, very tired. Um, so I ended up buying a small um, house um, about 10 to 15 minutes away from Mount Washington um, as a vacation home. Now, this house was being sold by uh, a very older gentleman through Facebook Marketplace <laughs> and needed um, an entire gut job to the to the two by fours. Um, so I have been um, spending the time that I normally would probably be hiking on my weekends um, at this house, um, you know, basically redoing it from the ground up. And as somebody who works in finance and doesn't necessarily um, do these things, um, I've brought in, you know, some friends who have skill sets and been learning a lot and enjoying it. But it's moving extremely slow compared to if I just hired someone um, to do it. Uh, but, you know, with, you know, finances and so forth and not wanting to just drop tons of money into this place, um, I've been spending my hiking time working on getting my hiking house ready. Um, we have considered maybe even renting it out to some of the hiking buddies or letting hiking buddies stay there on occasion and or hosting some, you know, camping in the back and so forth. So it'll It'll probably be used um, for the for the benefit of the group at some point, um, but right now uh, I'm just trying to get it ready for my family to be able to use, and uh, it's just taking up a lot of my free time. So um, my hiking plans have been um, somewhat diminished until I get that project done, which likely won't be done until the winter. So. Yeah, well, it'll be well worth it for sure, and I've been lucky enough to have a family that has 
a house in the area, so it's it saved me that painful drive back down to Massachusetts and, and, and positioned me very close to some of the great areas in the White Mountains. So focus on getting that house done, and then the, the, the rewards will be significant when it is done. Yeah, absolutely. We love it up there, and I mean, we wouldn't have, obviously, we wouldn't have bought the, the place otherwise, but it's just, um, you know, when you think something's going to take six months, it always takes a year. And uh, so it's just been taking uh, a lot more time and money than than we anticipated. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I have to say that you know, for me personally, I would say that my I've evolved over the years. Like you know, sort of talking about John's situation and in, in search and rescue. Like I used to be a lot more judgmental around these things until I sort of looked at the big picture and realized that like these a lot of these incidents are sort of like you know they're just sort of divine intervention around like things just happen it's at some time uh sometimes and then also when it comes to like facebook groups and hiking groups and hiking in groups where you don't know people like i think i used to have a very elitist attitude and i think a lot of my friends that i hung out with sort of had this elitist attitude around like you know you should only be hiking with one or two people and that like meetup groups aren't the cool thing to do and all this stuff and i think i've experienced some loss over the last year or two you know the, the our, our family has has dealt with a little bit of loss so it's it sort of i think it's been nice to really see groups like yours just focus a hundred percent on positive things um and and really just open up the opportunity for people to build those relationships because I think one of the lessons that I learned when I one of the lessons I gave when I finished my my 4000 footers and 52 with the views is that it's more important to sort of bag friendships than it is peaks and I think for a long time I personally had maybe not the best attitude about that it was is a little bit too elitist so I've evolved over the years and I think watching your group and the way that you've approached um, engaging with the group has been one of the catalysts for the way that I've sort of changed my mind, changed changed my thinking over the years. I appreciate that, and there's still um, there's still some of that mindset out there that we've um, run into from time to time of you know folks who don't want other people on the trails and they they don't you know like groups and they don't you know at the end of the day you know I would just respond to those people by saying look you know we're trying to teach people you know in smaller groups like we do cap the group size you know what is leave no trace don't don't leave behind you know trash don't don't you know ruin the trails for everyone else be you know be courteous allow the people going up to have the right away like you know trying to teach people who don't necessarily have it but also giving the benefit of the mountains and the beauty of the mountains to other people and sharing that is important and you know on top of that i would say like look you know we're full of people, right? Like our group is full of people and people aren't perfect and we're not perfect and stuff's going to happen from time to time because, you know, like every organization and every nonprofit and every, everybody, you know, anything, any, anything that has people in it is going to be imperfect. So we don't claim to be, but, you know, we're trying to be um, a positive force for good for both individuals as well as like greater purpose, which, you know, the 150,000 plus, plus dollars that we, you know, raised for Alzheimer's and the money that we've raised for, you know, September 11th charities, the money we're going to raise for SAR. I mean, it's hard to, to, to step back and go, hey, this group's really ruining things for us. Um, yeah. If you have that kind of attitude, then I would just say, hey, you need to just, you know, kind of check it a little bit and say, 
you know, am am I am I being a little bit on inward, you know, inward thinking and a little bit too much, um, you know, focus on me, 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 or am I, um, you know, and maybe evolve your thinking as well because you know from time to time we do run into that, and, and as you said, we keep it positive. We have no problem booting people from the group um, if they're bringing the wrong kind of energy and. Um, and and we we ignore that kind of noise. It's just not it's not worth our time. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's been fun watching it evolve. So, Julie, you're back on. Julie had some technical difficulties, but um, I wanted to find out from. I'm going to host a buddy hike, Julie, and I want to do a terrifying 25. Do you have any requests? I'm going to do something in probably September. I just noticed you did Huntington Ravine, and that was my next one. Um, so I'll pass on that. So whatever you choose, um, um, I'll jump on board. But um. Uh, that's on my agenda right now. I, I wanted to do it last week and I, it wasn't right. Um, so yeah, I will jump on board and uh, I'm really excited to do it. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking about doing the the Great Gulf and, and maybe doing something like either the Great Gulf or maybe string together like um, Caps Ridge and then down the Sphinx Trail and then up the Great Great Gulf headwall and then back down or something. So we'll we'll figure something out. But be on the lookout. I'll message you when I'm ready. Um, and I will be hosting something. You guys better talk about pace, all right? That's all. Pre-hike pre pace. Talk. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going fast. It'll, it'll take the time or whatever. So, um. Hey, Julie, um, while you were gone, Mike asked, um, how do people uh, how do people find a hike with Julie oh, Sicardo yes. if they want to hike with you? How do, how do they get in on that? It seems like your hikes fill up uh, in a blink. I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't, sometimes I don't understand and it, it tends to be similar people that, that kind of jump on. So I'm not, um, I'm not sure. I try to be real fun. I, and, and the reason for that is to, to just engage people and get people comfortable to join. Um, that last hike I posted, we had a lot of repeats, but at the same time we had some newbies, you know, and I was, so, and I was so happy to have them. I was so happy to have some new faces on there because I knew that, the rest of my group would engage them. I knew that they would be on, they would be on board with them. Um, and it ended up being a great time. So I don't know. It could be my age. It could be, I don't know the trails I pick. I don't know what it is. So what it is. So, um, I don't know. I'm going to post, I'm going to try to post like one a month. Yeah. Awesome. But, uh, but Ben, this has been good. So everybody go sign up for, um, mountains and microbrews and Meredith on September 10th. I'm going to try to get there. I got, my schedule is crazy. It's like, it's always insane. You know how it is. Um, but thank you so much for joining us and, um, you know, we'll look forward to hopefully catching up soon and, um, anything else, anything I missed, anything else you want to plug? No, I would just say um, we're our Facebook group, but when it comes to registering for the event, um, it's Hiking Buddies, uh, nh48.com, and just click on shop and, and find the shirt. It's called Entry Shirt, and uh, once you buy the shirt, um, it gets you entry into the event as well and also helps um, make the contribution to the search and rescue group. So that's how you, how you actually register. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, um, and you know we'll look forward to uh, staying in touch. Awesome. All right, Stomp. So that was the the hiking buddies. Cool stuff. It's, yeah. it's been fun to watch them grow over time. And I know you haven't get a chance to talk with Ben and Julie. And I know that like when we originally sort of talked about these meetup groups, like there's always that concern about you know group size and group dynamics and all that stuff but i think that you know the proof is in the pudding as far as like the the success that they've had and and the growth that they've had for sure and i think there's definitely an appetite for people to have a, a networking um 
option for them to, to hike with people. So, you know, it's it's been pretty successful, and they, it's a good group of people. Yeah, after I listened, I'm like, oh, you know what? I should host a, a hike and, and be a host. <laughs> yeah, you but, can be like, okay, I'm going to do a bushwhack out to <laughs> well, that's what I was wondering. middle of nowhere. Yeah. No, do they do that? Like if I said, hey, does an, is anybody up for a bushwhack or do they stick strictly to trails? Well, so uh, they'll, I think that they'll, they'll be up for anything. Like I hosted a buddy hike where I did do that bushwhack down the Lincoln slide and then we went out into the Pemi. So it was a little bit of a, um, it was a little bit of a, a bushwhack, but I think they'd be up for anything. Okay. I'll keep it in mind because I have yeah. so many beautiful things I could show people that are fairly modest. Yeah. Hike the, hike the captain and stomp. <laughs> <laughs> So, but it's like Julian Ben said. Like I think people are smart enough now where they can self-select into these. And I think as long as you are very clear about like the expectations when you post the hike, then I think you know it should work out pretty well. I mean, I can only go by my experience. Like I've done two of them. I met my friend George, who was an absolute beast on a winter hike, and then George hopped onto that other hike that I did down the Lincoln Slide. I am going to host something in the next month or two, so I'll mm. let you know. Once, once the kids get off to school and I'm, I'm a free free man for a little bit more time than I usually have, I'll let you know when I'm going to host something. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. That sounds like a challenge. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. We're going to go with just these local news stories here. So um, I'm going to start with a missing uh, Enfield man was found in Franklin. So this is a um, situation that happened on July 23rd around 5 p.m. The New Hampshire fishing game was notified of a missing person. 58-year-old gentleman from Enfield had walked away from his residence um, and he had not yet returned. Uh, They spoke to the spouse and it was learned that this gentleman liked to walk in the woods behind his residence, and uh, the terrain behind the house can be challenging as it is a dense forest with wet, swampy areas. But it was unusual for this gentleman not to return to the residence. So, um, conservation officers, police department, fire department uh, from a variety of towns, as well as a drone operator and volunteers from New England Canine and Rescue, as well as Upper Valley Response Team came together to provide search efforts throughout the night. Uh, so the canine team worked into the early morning hours um, of the, the day, I guess they had to rest the dogs, and uh, the local Enfield Police Department also put out a bunch of social media posts. Mm. Uh, around 6 a.m. on Sunday, there was a couple of tips that came in regarding his whereabouts, and it was learned that he was picked up and dropped off by a passerby and had visited family members in Gilmanton. So yeah. once he ended the, vi- uh, the visit, he started the trek back to Enfield, um, and I guess he was walking along the road in Franklin, and they were able to ID him. So I think he just went on a little vision quest away from the wife. So I suppose, um, yeah, yeah. So I don't know what happened there. I don't know Enfield to Franklin. I'm not sure how far away that is. But um, interesting note: there's a uh, there was a drone operator on scene. So you may be seeing more. Uh, mention of drones in use during these missions so keep an eye on that they they're really handy and uh they're starting to show their worth let's just say that yeah yeah no doubt and um i'm just looking at enfield in comparison to franklin 
is not super close. Oh, really? No, yeah, because I think isn't Franklin down by like, it's a little bit north of Hooksit, right? I'm really not sure. Maybe it's a little farther north, but either way, like, Enfield is over by like 91 in that area, whereas, um, yeah, Franklin is closer to uh, 93. Hmm. So, anyway, he had a little vision quest there, so I don't anyway. know what happened. Yeah. Seems odd that he wouldn't, like, have notified the wife, but hey. <laughs> a vision, maybe a vision quest. <laughs> Right? <laughs> Don Quixote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then um, the next one here, yeah, Vision Quest. That's what I say. Like, you, know, the, you get in a fight with the wife and you go off for a walk, you're going on a Vision Quest. Oh, that's a, if, you're, if, you're, if you wrestled in high school in the 80s, you, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so this is a, a sad story. So um, this just happened on... Um, Saturday. You know, I think on Saturday, yeah. So yeah. around one fifteen, fishing game um, received a nine one one call reporting that a male hiker had been found unconscious and not breathing on the Jewel Trail, right near the Gulfside Trail Junction. So a group of hikers had come upon this unresponsive man and quickly called nine one one, and started performing CPR. Uh, weather conditions were cold and windy, with the high peaks and trails socked in by clouds. So a rescue response was initiated with a call from volunteers from Androscoggin Valley Search and Rescue, Pemi Valley Search and Rescue, and then also a call was uh, made to the Cog Railroad staff, who offered to provide a train to help relay rescues up from the uh, the base station. So. Um, some members utilized the auto road to access the summit of Mount Washington and hike down to the victim, and then um, the other volunteer team rode up on the cog and hiked across to the victim. Unfortunately, despite all efforts, the hiker was uh, did not survive, so there were some good Samaritan hikers that performed CPR for 40 minutes with no sign of life and with freezing temperatures and high winds resuscitation efforts were ceased so the SAR members were able to carry the body near nearly a mile along the Gulfside Trail to the Cog Railroad where uh, the gentleman was placed in the train and transported to the base so no information on the, who the hiker was um, pending notification of the family gentleman was hiking with his dog when he collapsed so the dog is safe and taken down the jewel trail by other hikers and placed in care of a local animal shelter until it can be reunited with family members so um, sad story, you know, no details other than that, you know, he just, um, unfortunately was found non-responsive on the trail. So, you know, it's, you can only speculate, but, you know, I'm sure that more details will come out, but sad story. It is. The yeah. Good Samaritans did a fantastic job and I think they deserve credit realizing that they could only do so much and you know, in weather like that, you have to think about yourself in that situation. And they made the right call, um, you know, heading up to wherever they were going, the summit or wherever, who knows. And um, the other thing is, it's interesting looking at the logistics of getting to this this location, because I think we see this location quite a bit, actually. Yeah, it's a pretty common spot for uh, for hikers to find themselves in trouble it is yeah it's very interesting and um you know just two months ago we were up there for what was basically a summertime 
winter whiteout for another individual, if you remember correctly. So, mm-hmm. a lot of teams will come up Auto Road. Some teams will come up Cog Railroad. Um, so it's it's very interesting just looking at the, the logistics of how teams approach these events and how fishing game manages these searches and, and rescues. So, but anyway, yeah, yeah. I mean, this story. spot is just like this is also the same spot where Pam Bales met um, you know met up with that person that she she John. had to rescue, yeah. and you know, there's been numerous incidents over the years along this stretch. Like when you get on top of the Jewel Trail, you hit Gulf Side. That whole stretch across from Jefferson and all the way up to Mount Washington seems to be a pretty hot spot for people that uh, find themselves in, in some challenging situations. And I suppose for like people that are doing a prezi north to south or, or vice versa, that's the halfway point where you may be hitting the wall and getting in trouble yourself. And that's it's just so important to know that that's your, your plan B for getting out of there if you had to in bad weather. Like Jewel is a huge plan B. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. And, and I have no idea if this was weather-related or medical oh, or sure. not. But, you know, sitting on top of Jefferson for about an hour on Sunday, just sort of watching the clouds go through like a funnel in that section. I mean, if you are if you are dealing with any sort of medical issue and, you know, you're exposed to cold weather, like it is literally just a funnel of air just flowing through between that ridge between Jefferson, Clay, and, and Washington. It's just, yep. you're going to get hit with wind constantly. Absolutely. Terrible spot. Yeah. So, um, rest in peace, hiker, and hopefully, you know, our, our condolences go to the family. So, sad story. Yeah. Condolences. All right. So, the next story here is hiker in medical distress. So, this happened on Sunday, July 31st, shortly after 7 a.m. Fishing Game was notified of a, a location or a personal locator beacon that had been activated um, tied to a medical emergency that had occurred on Signal Ridge Trail. So, that's pretty far out there. Uh, but he was close. He was actually close to the trailhead, about a half a mile from trailhead. So, yeah. Beacon was registered to a 34-year-old gentleman from New York. Um, this gentleman and his hiking partner had gone up the trail on Saturday evening and had established a campsite. During the night, uh, the gentleman experienced abdominal pains, which did not subside. So, a- after activating the Beacon at 7 a.m., um, with the help of his friends and passing hikers, this gentleman was able to make his way back to the trailhead. He was met by conservation officers and some some volunteers of the Lakes Region Search and Rescue and Bartlett Ambulance Service. So around 9 a.m., he was taken by ambulance to the Memorial Hospital in North Conway. Um, that's all the details that really played into this. I don't know what was going on. Maybe he's got an appendix issue or maybe he had, ate some bad... Um, Sushi, you know, a bad. Well, no, what are those bag foods? What's <laughs> what are those mountain mountain tops or whatever those are called? Mountain oh, house? God knows. Mountain Who house? knows? Yeah, yeah, he probably had a bad mountain house meal. He was like, I'm done. <laughs> I I just have to finish on this because it's really nice that this report gives a shout out to Lakes Region Search and Rescue. Um, and then they, they point people to donate to Lakes Region in particular, and then also the New Hampshire Outdoor Council. New Hampshire Outdoor Council is sort of the umbrella organization that uh, supports volunteer search and rescue throughout the state. So 
you can go to nhoutdoorcouncil.org and make donations, and those monies will go eventually to uh, volunteer teams that ask for grants. And the grants go to equipment, uh, you know, training, you name it. So that's just a nice way to support the, the search and rescue efforts in the state. Yeah, and it's tax deductible. So if like you're rich or something, um, and you need a tax write off, unlike you know, I don't know what that's all about, but what it seems like something a rich person could use. So donate oh, I, some money. I thought you won like four bucks on that uh, lottery the other day. No, I didn't win anything. <laughs> if you so, let me ask you this: so if you won that lottery, would you stay in New Hampshire or would you move somewhere else? Oh, you know, I I've had the fortune of being able to travel a little bit in my younger mm-hmm. years. So, you know, after my travels, I came back saying, there's no place like New Hampshire. This is the best place in the world, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. It has a little bit of everything. You can get to the beach, you can get to the mountain, you can get to the city, multiple cities. So it's it's a great state. How about you? Yeah, yeah. I, I would probably... I mean that that's crazy money. So I think you would like four hundred million, right? So um, <laughs> I definitely would not be. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't stay in Amesbury. I tell you that. Um, I would probably, yeah, I would be somewhere in in New Hampshire on a lake somewhere reasonably close to um, the mountains, and then. I, we'd probably end up in Florida as well because Mrs. Mike likes Florida, and I don't mind Florida. But um, my guess would be I would also probably get a condo in Bermuda or something and then travel a lot. So Okay. Yeah, I'm going to get a Lotus and do 180 miles an hour down 93. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, that stuff never, like that. the, the, the fast car <laughs> stuff doesn't interest me at all. Like I had, when we lived in Boston, like one of my two roommates, like they would, one of them was a stockbroker and it was during the dot-com days. So they were doing pretty well. And he would rent like a Viper and just him and my friend would drive up to Vermont they rent a Viper in Cambridge or Boston and then drive up to Vermont as fast as they could and then drive back. <laughs> right. Just for the hell of it. I'm like, I, I just don't get that much appeal over cars. Well, we had a massive discussion about this lottery. It was really funny. Like, one of the topics was, what would you get for a car? And, the, the, you know, my friends could not comprehend the fact that I would keep my truck and just, like, make it mint. Like, redo it, revamp yeah. it, like, rebuild it. Just so many funny conversations about this, but there was only one winner. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy moly! It's probably like I feel like a lot of the times these lottery winners are like these. They're all they always seem to be in these like rural areas, but it always seems to be like the rich guy living in the rural area that (laughs) like has so many issues already and wins the lottery and it just goes horribly wrong. So it's like you know, first of all, he's rich already, doesn't deserve to win the lottery, has horrible family, and then they it just goes horribly wrong. So we'll see what happens. It's great. Yeah, really funny story. I just want to give a shout out to Tony. Tony is a listener and uh, Tony Stewart and uh, she works down in Waterville and she put up a post on Facebook that basically said, listen, I just want to let everybody know that I I hit the lottery the other day and uh, I'm going to disappear for a while and, you know, don't try to contact me and this and that, you know, like people do. And then at the bottom it showed a picture and it was like, she won $4. (laughs) That's funny. funny. It was great. Yeah, if I won, I wouldn't tell anybody. But like, I would tell like obviously my family or whatever. But stop! I would let you know. Oh. I would throw you. I would throw you some some coin. Oh, I hope so. That'd be great. Yeah, I would. <laughs> I'd be like, go take Mrs. Stomp to Fiji. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> oh my goodness anyway so wow we went off on some tangents tonight but anyway fun, fun show stuff. and uh, we'll catch you on episode 70 yeah thank you for listening if you enjoyed the show you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts Spotify Podbean YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fish and game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? Seems to me the most common is being unprepared, and I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all. 